I get this feeling, sometimes it even washes over me where I just feel completely calm and I know that I'm at least on the right path. That moment, I pretty much get little hints of it, you know, maybe right after I'm done with my tall vanilla sweet cream from Starbucks. I get that. Mm-mm. This, and then I'm driving and it's beautiful. And every single day is beautiful. Yeah. It's not raining like ever. So all, every single day and I look out the window and I'm like, yep, yeah, it's beautiful again. I get to drive in my car, play the music that I want for as long as I want, and then I get to go home, right or whatever. So those moments are great. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to A Flare for the Curious. I'm your host, Anthony Swindell, and you just heard from today's guest, Mike Baez, about what it's like for him to drive around L.A. after being in New York for so long. Mike's a writer, producer, filmmaker, and trained actor with a great sense of humor, who I met back in 2011 waiting tables in New York. And in 2013, he got a break to work with Lloyd Kaufman and Troma Entertainment on Return to Newcomb High. After that, he went on to make his first feature-length film, Stiffed, a coming-of-age comedy about a waiter who robs people that don't tip. In our conversation, we talk about the ins and outs of independent filmmaking, what it was like for him to work at Troma Studios, and how important it is to commit to your craft and really put in the work. You can follow Mike on Instagram at MikeB underscore the actor. Check him out in Return to Newcomb High, and he's also he also made an appearance in Judah Friedlander's book, How to Beat Up Anybody, that is available anywhere you get your books. So this is episode three. Although two is my lucky number, anybody who watched Schoolhouse Rock knows that three is the magic number. And I felt like I crossed a hurdle with this one. Uh, I got the first two out of the way. And this is the first episode that was recorded in my own home. So I had the home court advantage, a little bit more laid back. Also, Mike's a funny guy. You know, he does a lot of comedy writing and he's got a real laid back attitude. You know, we work together as waiters in New York. And so our rapport is really playful and it made for just a jolly good time. Uh, A great chat in general. And I was really inspired by how hard he works to to put himself out there and, and just write, write, write. At one point in the conversation, we talk about the crossover between the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon and the Toxic Crusader cartoon. And when I was cleaning up after Mike left my home, uh, on the notepad that I gave him, he scribbled down, favorite Ninja Turtle? So I think he was going to ask me that question, what is my favorite Ninja Turtle? But he didn't get to it. But I wish he did, so I'm going to answer that after the episode. I will uh, spare you now and let you get right to our conversation, uh, but stick around and I will be answering that question after our chat. Check out the links to some of Mike's work in the show notes or at aflareforthecurious.com. And if you've got 10 extra seconds, I would really appreciate it if you could go click that five-star button and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, It would be greatly appreciated and would really help this podcast out. And thank you to everybody who's been listening in and supporting the show. I I really appreciate all your feedback and positive support. It's been really encouraging. 
Okay, that's enough for this introduction. Let's get to it. Uh, without further ado, I present to you my conversation with the illustrious Mike Baez. And the shuttle has cleared the tower. Everything sounds good for you? Sounds yeah. great. I yeah. love the bass. Yeah, got some good sound. <laughs> Sweet, hell yeah. So thank you. Yeah, Mike Baez, good to have you here, man. Thanks for coming out. Ah, oh, dude, it's my pleasure. I haven't seen you in the longest. Yeah, it's been like what, like two years? Last time we met up in Echo Park. Echo Park, the Tribal Cafe. Tribal Cafe. Yeah, because it was about halfway the distance from where we were at. Because you were out on the west side, Gardena. Gardena. Holy shit! <laughs> Sleeping on a couch. Nice, nice. But now you're uh, big digs in Pasadena. Uh, yeah, Washington Boulevard right over here. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, I grew up nearby right here in Alhambra, so there's ain't shit going on there. So we used to always cruise up to Pasadena to go to shows or check out art, or we'd take the bus up and skateboard down that big-ass hill. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Old, old Town is uh pretty popular. Yeah, I'm Old noticing. Town. Old Town, that, that's where all the cool kids go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, so what are you thinking of Pasadena? How's how's it different living over on, on this east side? I don't like it. No? <laughs> no? No, it's too rural. Uh, it's just, you gotta go down to Old Town to just see even, like, people walking around. You know, yeah. the, this, that, that part of Pasadena is just kind of, kind of a little ghetto. Washington, Washington, yeah, you're, yeah. you're way up there. And yeah. yeah, everything's kind of, kind of spaced out. It's good if you want to go hiking up in the mountains. Oh, but... yeah, yeah, that's really close. <laughs> but, uh, that's not me. No. <laughs> I'm a city boy, dude. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Mountains are not my thing. I hear that. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we met in the city, right? Working at New, the, uh, the, BB, the BBQ's joint. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that because, uh, I was super excited to see it on film in your, in your movie, Stiff. Yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, before we jump into that, um, let's tell people who you are. So, you oh, and yeah. I, you and I know each other from our time as waiters, uh, in New York, but yeah. it's, it's been a while. So, who are you? Where'd you come from? How'd you get to where you are now? Yeah. That was, uh, what was that? Seven, eight years ago? Yeah, 2011. Yeah. And so I was in New York, actor, filmmaker. And, uh, so, okay, a little about me, right? Uh, my name is Mike Baez. I'm originally from New Haven, Connecticut, born and raised. And, uh, when I was about mid twenties, I moved to New York for a decade. And that's when I started my, uh, started going to school. I went to William Esper. And I studied uh, Meisner technique and film acting techniques. And oh. I was always interested in writing and making my own films. But no one ever knew that. Everyone just thought I was going to be like an SNL or try to be an SNL actor. It was just like a funny act. And then I ended up uh, writing scripts. And uh, I've written six so far. One of them got made. And now I'm out here in L.A. Uh, trying to make more films and trying to audition. Hell Yeah. And so, yeah, that, and I'm reverting back to Dallas Barbecue, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was where I filmed my first movie. Yep. That, uh, that I totally, like, <laughs> had stole the location pretty much. <laughs> no one knew but, like, two people that we were shooting there. Oh, man. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was, it was cool, man, because you used some of the same menu items, you know, baked potato <laughs> rice or fries or whatever. And yeah. yeah, I, I hated that shitty chain. You know, the, the manager was cool. Atta bringing, you know, his Bangladesh style and he was super chill dude. But as far as chain restaurants go, you want the chicken and ribs or the ribs and chicken? Oh, it was uh, so like, so bad. Yeah. It's, it's one of those little restaurants. Like it's a staple in New York. People know all about it. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of, it goes hand in hand with the, like the, 
the restaurant I wanted to show. Yeah. It was like pretty much this is everyone working there is like, oh man, I just got to move up to yeah. a, to a new restaurant. Yeah. I just got to move up to another restaurant, you know? Yeah, that was actually the first place that that I got my start at. I I came in and acted like I knew what I was doing, but I needed to learn how to carry a tray. <laughs> oh yeah. That's yeah, such a weird kitschy Dallas barbecue in the center of fucking New York, man. Oh Manhattan. So weird. So weird. Yeah. 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 I, I, uh, didn't really care for that place too much, but it was cool to see you, see it come out and film, man. I loved it. And you, um, I love that you used like the perfect stereotypical restaurant manager. Just a big overweight white guy. Like, you know, not all of them are like that. Ata wasn't like that, but, uh, generally speaking, they are. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. It was Especially in New good. York. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, before we get too much into the film, um, so growing up in Connecticut, man, like I, I started off, I grew up in Brooklyn and then I moved to LA and, but Connecticut's kind of suburby and out there too, isn't it? What was that like? Well, what's weird is that I live like a couple blocks from Yale, uh-huh. and that's uh-huh. it was ghetto, ghetto. Like not a couple blocks, but like maybe like you know twenty city blocks. Uh, I lived on Grand Avenue in Connecticut in the eighties, and there were gangs and stuff. So it was pretty like it's not Connecticut, the Connecticut people see in like yeah. TV shows or like. Uh, well, um, what was the one with the, who's the boss? Uh-huh. That was filmed in Connecticut, <laughs> oh, right? Okay, no, okay. it's not like that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, that makes a little more sense. You get a little more content for your writing. <laughs> oh, yeah. There were definitely, ga- my brother was in a gang. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I saw my brother get beat up. I saw my dad get shot at. Mm-hmm. And this was like, uh, yeah, my, my neighbors were like crackheads and. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My, my parents are heroin addicts, ex-heroin addicts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you a little bit about your relationship with your mom because of what you shared in the film. You guys are more, you could keep referring to her as your friend and not your mom. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry, mom. You can use your first name. And <laughs> yeah. You had a real interesting relationship with her in the movie. Does that reflect your actual relationship with your mom? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, they say write about what you know. And mm-hmm. uh, my mom and I have, like, I've always told her everything. Yeah. And like that that movie had to have the character sort of grow out of his you know, it's it basically it's like a a, a coming of age tale. Like this guy has to finally stand up for himself and it doesn't just reflect on the people uh outside of his house, you know? It it sort of starts with him inside and being sheltered by his mom that mm-hmm. he's unable to like break out and become a man and you know i think that's like a just a great story overall i don't think honestly that it was executed very well and stiffed it was your first movie right yeah so you're working out the kinks but holy shit man it it kept its pacing there was action through the whole thing it kept it moving what i really liked about it too because i know you personally and i know like your stand-up comedy style yeah it had that flavor through the whole thing like (laughs) let me be my own man mom and can you wake me up at four? <laughs> you know, I, I really enjoyed it because I, I could, could tell it was your style through the whole thing. So I felt like, yeah, more connected to you. And I picked up on like some of the little nuances and I, yeah, I definitely reflected your style throughout it. So I thought it was cool, man, especially for your first film. Hell yeah, dude. Oh, thanks, dude. Hell yeah. So we haven't actually said what the movie is and what the premise is. So why don't we, why don't we say what it is? Oh yeah. So the movie is called Stiffed. It's a comedy about a waiter that robs people that don't tip. And so he is like a little OCD, so he'll rob people for the exact amount of the tip. And uh, he's robbing people, and then he robs a made man in the Mexican mafia and kills him by mistake. 
So, sorry to ruin it, but... <laughs> yeah. Stiff. Hell yeah. Um, so, it's a story... That's the over, that's the overview, but within it, like, you're trying to also raise the money to help your mom keep her bodega open, so it's it's got that element to it. And then you say, like, when, right, like when you're practicing your, your lines to go out, you say... Uh, that you're doing it for every working American yeah, that gets stiffed, right? So I, I was like, oh, shit, you know, it's, it's also like a working class movie, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's well, for the, the people, not just for for your own personal revenge. And I, I really like that. Yeah. It's got the whole uh, under theme of like Robin Hood and Robin from the rich and giving back to the poor. Like in, if you look at the movie, it doesn't really rob anybody. <laughs> you know, I think personally it didn't <laughs> deserve it. Like yeah. he doesn't just go out robbing people. So he's choosing them. <laughs> Yeah, you know? yeah, you do a good job of making the the, the those who do the stiffing to be <laughs> shitty people. Who, like, they, yeah, they're the ones they that deserve it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I loved it, man. Uh, and then also the whole the arc of how he became the superhero and going to like the drama class slash self defense <laughs> class. That shit was yeah. hilarious, man. With tough Tony, oh. uh, that was great. So he, much fun. He's one of my favorite characters. I just want to make a whole movie on Tough Tony. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> that would be a cool spinoff. And and you work with that actor, too, right? Yeah. I, and I was looking at some of your other reels online, and I saw I saw him pop up. Yeah. Um, I first met Greg Garrity. I hope I pronounced that right. Otherwise, he's going to kill me. <laughs> uh, but I met Craig uh, on a shoot with uh, Josh Apter. And it was a, a shoot called... Um, it was a dog type show, like a, it was bounty hunters, and it didn't really go anywhere. But um, being on set with those guys for that long was just like so much fun in itself. I think that's why people really want to get into acting because mm-hmm. you basically get to joke around with your buddies for about eight to ten hours. At what a time. do you think this is right here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, dude, exactly. So, like, if you can get into it whichever way you can, like, that's that's a dream. That's why I moved out here. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's cool, man. Um, and in that film, you had a cameo by, with Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah. One of the founding members of Troma Film Studios. And I assume you met him when you did, back in 2013, Return to Newcomb High. Yeah. Which ended up being a volume one and two. Yeah. So, you got some history with Troma, which... I fucking love. Yeah, that's crazy. There's Toxie. Yeah. So um, for those people who don't know Troma, uh, I, in doing a little bit of research, listened to this awesome podcast called Wizard and the Bruiser, where they kind of, they're all about like nerd culture and comic books and movies and games. They had a whole episode uh, on Troma. So I got a little history. And so check this out. I just pulled out this action figure of Toxie. And so when I was a kid, I was into like Ninja Turtles and me too, all that shit. And so... I got rid of all my Legos, all my Ghostbusters, everything, but I kept all my Ninja Turtles. Yeah. And I kept my Toxie with my Ninja Turtles, because to me, they just went together. Listening to this episode, though, it turned out the same person who made the Ninja Turtles cartoon made the Toxic Avenger, Toxic Crusader cartoon. Oh, so no way. So no wonder they went together. You know, there was the whole, like... What's his name? Post-70s oil problem, so there was, like, more nuclear power going on, so the the... The idea of like toxic mutation was popular around the, in the eighties. Who the hell knew these cartoons actually had a theme? Yeah, like... yeah. So I, you know, I subconsciously made the connection by keeping that toy with my Ninja Turtles. But it was really cool to hear it, like hear it come full circle and hear that uh, that the ninja, that there's a crossover. The same green goo that came out in a lot of trauma films is the same yeah. green goo that was in the Ninja Turtles. 
It's a crossover. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So fucking Troma's awesome, man. Uh, so for people who don't know about it, I definitely recommend checking out that episode of Wizard and the Bruiser for an overview and some details of, of what Troma is. But I guess in a, in a nutshell, uh, they're independent film. It's art. Uh, oh yeah, dude. They've been, been true to their art. Well, you want you, you go for it, man. They've been doing movies for over forty years. I remember the first time I saw Toxic Avenger, I was in the room with my brother watching, and we were just like, "What the hell yeah. is this?" Longest running independent film studio. Yeah, and we couldn't put our fingers on it. But what's genius about Trauma? A lot of people don't realize is that Trauma pretty much started the so bad it's good trend uh like hollywood's been trying to sort of emulate this oh we're gonna make a movie that's so bad it's good like and they started the whole thing you know these whole sharknado and these like all these movies (laughs) romeo and juliet yeah you know that was james gunn no you know who james gunn is no (laughs) you know what his last movie he directed it was uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, shit. One and two. Oh. And his first movie was Tromeo and Juliet. So that's something that they mentioned on this podcast that uh, so so many people volunteer to work at Troma. You know, it's all grassroots. So people are doing all the work. So you would learn more in a couple years yeah. working with Troma than you would going to a film school for four years. And many people got their start with Troma and then went on to do proper broadcast television. And so you'll end up finding Troma in weird places. Like I think they said the Lifetime Network or some weird place that you wouldn't expect (laughs) to find it. But some kid who came up doing Troma now has that executive job. And they're like, yeah, we'll we'll let you. Come on. Come on. They're going to be on the Chiller (laughs) channel or whatever. Yeah, they're all over like really late tv yeah but, uh, Cause it's particularly gory and offensive and all the things that you're not supposed to put in regular film comes out in there necrophilia well, silly gore exactly exactly <laughs> all the, the, first all the comedy super horror. crass stuff comedy horror and sex comedies exactly squeeze play <laughs> <laughs> squeeze play <laughs> uh they like also the practical effects right they were around before cgi so they yeah. had to do all these practical effects which like no one was doing at the time. Well, you know, they were doing it, but not to the extent where you're, like, ripping out a guy's intestines and, like, wrapping it around <laughs> and, like, tying it up to a motorcycle and driving away, you know? Yeah. Like. Yeah, they, it was over the top. Yeah. So, so bad it's good. <laughs> yeah. So bad it's good. And so, you know, it's the, it's the kind of thing that most people find their, their teenage, adolescent years and, uh, yeah, it's either like, holy shit, it's so gross, cool, or you're like, oh, Finally, it's okay to be this gross. I found, oh, there's other people <laughs> in the world as weird and freaky and open to weird shit as I am. Cool. Well, most and people, people get immerse in it. Like, oh, it really they love turn, it. It turns people on to a, a bigger world of weirdness and, yeah, like, making it okay to push the boundaries in such a boringly Absurd. normal world. <laughs> yeah, well, like, also, like, that's not one of those movies you watch alone. No, <laughs> no, no, you get a group of friends and, yeah. and you get some beer and some mind-altering substances and you hang out and you miss half the movie because you're talking. Yeah, Exactly. It, yeah, it's hard to, to maybe stay focused <laughs> for oh a plotline of one of these, but they're thoroughly entertaining. Yeah, it's a, a, yeah, it's a group kind of <laughs> I will endeavor. give you the, my fa- one of my favorite moments like watching movies was growing up with my cousins. I remember we went, we dude, this is the movie we rented. We rented... Uh, Sleepaway Massacre 30. Nice. Right? Because we wanted to see boobs. And we were like <laughs> 11 or whatever, right? Yeah. 
So we get back to the house. We start watching the movie, and we realize how bad the movie <laughs> is. Right? But I'm sure there's just enough boobs in it for you. Oh, in the opening <laughs> like five minutes, we had our fix. So, then, <laughs> but then like there was this one scene where like a guy is gonna machete hack a girl, and you see the shadow of it going up. And in the bottom right-hand corner, you see the ketchup squeeze bottle <laughs> squeezing on the wall. And I just thought, they didn't think to take that out or, like, zoom in just a little. One take, one take. <laughs> <laughs> We're on a budget, man. Film, film wasn't digital back then, right? So Dude, yeah. It cost to roll. We laughed so hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah, I was all, all about the trauma coming up. As a as a youngin looking for weird shit to get into, man. Oh, dude, if you want, I could call Uncle Lloyd right now. He'll he'll pick up. Oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Lloyd for a second. So he came out in your movie. Yeah. Uh, first he's dissing you, and then he, <laughs> he eventually comes around. But yeah, it fucking blew my mind to see him in your film because I, I I guess I don't I didn't understand like the extent of your network and all that you had done and I. You know, I kind of just knew you as my homie who was the waiter, who was into some stand-up and had a, a flair for making film. But I didn't, I didn't understand that you were, you're, you know, you're in the biz and you're networking and you're doing it and you got all these connections. Somewhat, I wouldn't go there. <laughs> I yeah. mean, somewhat. I mean, like you're, you're working with other other artists and other actors, and you know, you're, you're doing something. You're, you're yeah, I'm you're trying. Involved. You're involved. I'm trying for yeah. sure. You know, you're, you're making it a go of it. So you got Lloyd to come out in your film, and that fucking blew my mind. But that's because you worked with him back in 2013 on. Return to Newcomb High. Yeah. How the hell was that? How did you come into awesome. that job? Like, I know, you know, they're, they're in New York. So I imagine like you can, you can go to auditions and stuff, but how did you get hooked up with that film and how did you get in? And so I auditioned, like? I auditioned just like everybody else. The, they had a thing on actors access. They put it on Craigslist. They put it on like almost like they put it everywhere. And I remember seeing it all over and I remember thinking, Oh, I saw Newcomb High when I was a kid. Uh, and so I auditioned the first time. And they called me back. I have five callbacks, five callbacks where you'd go in and you do all these lines and there was like all this really high energy. And that's what they, I think, really wanted were just like really high energy, good actors. And uh, instead they got me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, man, you're a hell of a character and everything in trauma is like over the top and you're, you're a character oh, yourself, man. <laughs> I was given one of the best characters. Initially, his name was Wheels. Uh huh. He's on a wheelchair because he's in a wheelchair, yeah. right? I mean, okay, you know, it's kind of offensive, <laughs> but it's pretty funny. A, a lot of trauma films are offensive. They go with a lot of racial stereotype names. Oh and, yeah, and, <laughs> you and know, they're, they're pushing it. And Wheels was like one of the coolest characters because one of his lines is like, "We mutated, and my wheelchair is mutated too." <laughs> like, <laughs> it was so, uh, you know. That was great. And uh, so then after the five callbacks, um, they invited me out to Niagara Falls for six weeks where we shot. And we shot. We all stayed in a funeral home. I shit you not. Whoa. There was an abandoned funeral home, but they took like two big rooms and they made it like the boys side and the girls side. And we spent six weeks out there and Niagara Falls making a film and Lloyd inspired me so much after watching him to make Stift. Yeah. I said that right after I we wrapped on that movie, I said, I'm I'm making Stift. I don't care like You how. got you got your feet wet, you got a taste of it and you yeah. got to, you got to see so the thing about trauma is they're doing it themselves. Lloyd is famous for doing multiple jobs. Yeah. And also 
everybody says he's got super friendly attitude and he's always super positive. Was that your experience too? Just all good? No. I mean, I heard like you know, he'll come out and like the first day fire somebody to set the precedent and like make sure everybody knows what's up. But no, that's like the rumor. Like people, right. they say that in Hollywood, go out your first day and and like fire like, somebody. Like but prison, he never right? did like, that. Start, like win a fight your first day in prison. Exactly. Kind of Just you know, <laughs> knock out the biggest guy. <laughs> establish your dominance. Yeah. No, no, he didn't. He didn't do that. But also, he did yell at times. But they were friendly yells. It, you know, he yells. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> he will yell at you and then immediately apologize and say, you know, you're doing a great job, though. Get back here. Come over here. Nice. This is what you get like, no, what are you do-? Like, this is Lloyd. He, no, what are you doing? What do- no, get back. Okay. What are you, a moron? <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. Get over here. You're doing a great job. <laughs> so nice. uh, no one ever, Lloyd's a great guy. Yeah. Yes. That's just the way he directs. Did you get to meet Michael Hertz, or is he just all behind the scenes? Was he on the on the, on the set? No, not at all. He's always in the office. Mm-hmm. Literally, like, the quietest guy, too. Yeah. I, I didn't know who Michael Hertz was until, like, <laughs> Did we wrapped. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he... If you go into the trauma office, right where I shot that scene for Stift, yep. Michael Hertz sits right across from Lloyd. Yeah, and I guess their desks are, like, opposite, right? One's, like, clean and business, and then Lloyd's is, like, a fucking trauma... Everything, caricature set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really weird, but I love, you know, look at uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, right? Mm-hmm. They're pretty much like, they're always teams. If you if you look at the trend, like really good movies and people that make movies, are you? it's never one. It's really hard to be one. So, Yeah, usually people who are really ambitious are a little bit eccentric. Like, I'm starting to embrace the, my own weirdness and my own artistic inclinations, and I'm starting to see, you know what, like, uh, I've got some shortcomings that after 20, 30 years of working on, they're kind of not really changing much, so maybe I need to just go with my strengths. Oh, yeah. And find a team or a partner or somebody that can compliment me so we can work together. Oh, yeah, dude. I, th- I think that's a good way to go about it, and yeah, you're right. Uh, a lot of There's a lot of teams in, in the arts. Find the yin to your yang. Yup. Know what I mean? Like, Lloyd is the polar opposite. Say he is like out there, always cracking jokes. He's the face mm-hmm. of trauma, and then Michael Hertz is the business side. But they have very clear, like, sort of uh, responsibilities and understandings of what they do and what they don't do. Yeah, yeah, it's a great way to to, to run your show. So this movie, um, it's kind of a it's a it is a remake or an extension of the '80s version cl- class of Newcomb High. Yeah, which is, it has been described as a, a punk exploitation film, <laughs> right? Just like over the top punk kids that get all mutated and end up doing some, some crazy shit to the school. So I I watched Stift, but I I wasn't able to to watch uh, Return to Newcomb High before we got together. So uh, what's the what's the premise of the film? And tell us a little bit about it. Oh, you can't ask me <laughs> the premise of a trauma film. How long is your podcast? In, 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 in a nutshell. In a nutshell. <laughs> Uh, Wait, so, okay. Also, to answer that question, is as, as long as we want to make it. So okay. Great. As soon as we're done, we can cut and roll, or if you know we want to get into uh, the details of your life and what makes you cry, we can we can go there too. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, man, we can uh, we can keep it as short as long as we want to go. So yeah, uh, return to Newcomb High. Uh, return to Newcomb High. So the original was about kids that were in high school and uh, smoked some toxic weed. Like uh, there was some, also a nuclear plant, a nuclear power right plant, in high right? School. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, they got their hands on some nuclear weed by mistake, smoked it, and like some of them turned into cretins, right? Yep. 
And, um, which I just have to, let me revert back to when they offered me the part. I had auditioned for Mr. Chips, which is like, a, a not as big a role as they gave me. They, they originally offered Mr. Chips, which was like, he's, you know, he's a character, but he's not a Cretan. So then they pulled me to the side and, um, they said, we want to offer you the role. And I was like, you can't, like, f- dude, first time someone offering you a role in a feature film. It was, like, huge to me. And I was like, yes. And then they pulled me to the side and they go, but we want to offer you the part of the wheelchair Cretan. And I go, well, the wheelchair. And, I, and at first I was like, oh, I don't think he's as big. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, is he, like, how... I didn't really read that part of the script. Uh, is he a good character? Like well, usually, people in a wheelchair are, are <laughs> ostracized and put in the back. And- <laughs> right. I'm thinking I'm gonna have one line yeah. or something, and then they're like, "No, no, he's like one of the Cretans." And I was like, "Oh, one of the Cretans? Yeah, 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 totally." And then, then, then uh, when I was supposed to die, I was supposed to be the first Cretan dead. But people liked the wheelchair and the character so much that I was, like, Hell literally yeah. the last Cretan to die. Nice. Yeah. I, I, so they kept me around. They asked me mid-shoot if I could stay for the rest of the shoot. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Awesome. Hell yeah, dude. So did the did the storyline kind of follow the same one as, as the class of Newcomb High from the 80s? Oh, yeah. Uh, back to your original question. So instead of them smoking... Uh, <laughs> Smoking toxic Ra- radioactive cannabis. radioactive <laughs> weed. They there's a food conglomerate that's selling food. It's like plastic trauma foods, and mm-hmm. they're selling foods to the schools. And basically, it has nuclear in the food. So when they made when they, when they do Taco Tuesday. <laughs> Some kid bites into the taco and his head fucking explodes. Nice. Oh yeah, that's in the that's in the preview. It's all those like these green glowing tacos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Nice. But if you get a chance, you should watch the movie because it's kind of it's pretty funny. Lo- tons of cameos, and it's Lemmy's last performance in that movie. Yeah, Lemmy from Motorhead's mm-hmm. in there. Did you get to see him, or did you guys film in different? No, other other cast members did. Uh huh. And. I have to say, my friend Vito Trigo was extremely upset that they didn't even tell him. They told him after they shot it. Uh. And he's a huge Motorhead fan. And so uh, they told him after, and I remember him just being bummed out the next day. Nobody told him. Meanwhile, like, <laughs> Lemmy's hanging out with all the, like, the cute oh. girls from Troma because, like, that's what Lloyd will do. You know, we'll bring the beautiful women and, like, a bottle of Jack and you can hang out. And wow. He shot it for free, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he was I mean, in town doing a concert. So many people love Troma and just willing to... I mean, I would do it for free. So cool. So cool to be a part of Troma Experience. Did you get to meet Judah Friedlander? Oh, I met Judah from before, uh, actually, believe it or not. If you look at his book, uh, How to Beat Up Anybody, I'm in his book. I showed up to that in New York, and that that was like a year or two before Troma. Oh, so, I yeah, I didn't know he had a book. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got a book, How to Beat Up Anybody. <laughs> and I showed up that day, and they were just looking for like... What do you com- mean, what day? Uh, uh, book, re- book release day? 
No, no, no. So uh, his book has tons of photos. Uh-huh. So I got a casting call saying like we just need like comedians, funny faces to come out. Oh, uh, and so just to shoot for the book to shoot for the book. Oh, and if cool. you see the book, you'll see what I'm talking about. He's just beating up a bunch of people in like a bunch of really funny ways. Yeah. And so I uh, went there and I I volunteered to hold up uh, one of the lights to get Judah really good lighting. And so after that, he was like, all right, let me get you in one of these shots. And so he put me in like one of the shots and then uh, I'm in the book. And then I saw him again after for the like premiere, but I had no idea he was even in the movie. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised to see him in there too. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. yeah it, was, it, was, it looked like a good cast. It was, did, you, did you enjoy working with everybody? What was it like working on that movie? Oh, dude, it was one of the best experiences of my life. So like... It was uh, about 20 to 30 of us, all guys, filmmakers in one side, and then on the other side were all the women. But, like, there was such a sense of collaboration. If you look at Stift, half of the people were in uh, the trauma movie with oh, me. Nice. Or a lot of them, uh, the set design, the makeup artist, they were all from trauma. And, mm-hmm. like, so they helped me, and they were big into the collaborative process and just spending the summer up there with like-minded people was just the coolest. You'd go out and you'd have conversations and you talk about like the films you wanted to make and that kind of stuff. And then at night you'd sit down and eat popcorn and watch other trauma movies and just laugh oh, wow. and like that sounds so cool. Oh, it was dope. It was really fun. Yeah, one of the best experiences of my life. Yeah, mm-hmm. See, that's cool. You made a lot of personal connections, and then it inspired you to make your movie. So did you? Learn a lot about the filmmaking process. At that point, had you just written movies or had you participated in, in making any of them? I tried making them and I was terrible. Just like, like short films and sketches? I, I had bought a Rebel T2i uh-huh. and I remember the Mike Baez show I tried doing nope. at Dallas Barbecue. No. Nope. Total fail. Total <laughs> Maybe fail. That was after my time. I was short uh, I got a Rebel T2i DSLR. I'm like, this is it. I'm going to make movies from now on. And literally, I had no lighting. I didn't know what I was doing. Half the shot's out of focus. I had no idea what sound was, right? So, like, I make these, like, really dumb. I, I co-wrote them with my friend Alex Echevarria, who's a co-writer. He also co-wrote Stift. And we did, like, a web series. And they were like, the, the circumstances were funny. The execution was terrible. Yeah. Like, we didn't yeah. know what we were doing. But it was fun. We were learning throughout yeah. the whole thing. I bet. Is that available for people to check out, or do you <clears throat> wipe the internet clean? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> YouTube Never does not have that. Day. Yeah. <laughs> it was there for a while, and I remember thinking, why do I even want to show this to people? Yeah. This is going to totally put them off. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's you know that's something I was I've been thinking about and doing this show. I thought about maybe doing some test runs, but I'm just like, you know what? I just got to jump right in. So you know, my first interview, I thought you know went all right. There was a lot of nervous laughter, and whatnot, but you know, I think uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, and usually the first few episodes, people are working out the kinks, they're finding their voice, they're finding like a good flow that works for them. Yeah, and yeah, I think just getting that first one out of the way, like I already felt more comfortable. I also you know bought some more gear to make things work a little easier. And your setup is awesome here. Thanks, man. So pro. Yeah, I'm 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 trying, you know, because uh, I I'm t- I want to take it seriously. So I, so I give it the 
the effort it deserves, you know, spend a little bit of time like researching and preparing, like not just jumping in like, hey, let's shoot the shit, you know. Yeah, you're so. more prepared than me. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, man. Yeah, you, you've done all the work to get here. You know, everything that led you here is, you know, what what we're here to chat about more or less. Thanks, right? dude. Yeah, dude. Um, so what is the craziest thing you saw working on that trauma film? Because I, I experienced nothing but craziness watching trauma films. So I imagine behind the scenes, it's got to be pretty fucking weird. Uh, craziest thing I saw. To be honest, it wasn't too crazy. Uh, you know, I think like a weekend, one guy hit another guy by mistake or something like that, and he got fired. I wasn't even there. Uh, usually, they would just film in the morning, and like all the cra- okay, okay, okay. You, yeah, okay. So coming back to you. That's so all coming back. All right, wait. <laughs> We're <laughs> okay. <laughs> So we go to we used to go film in the day and then every night we'd go to Dugers. Which Dugers? Dugers. Ninety eight year old guy owned his own bar right down the street, right? Classic. And it was me, Adam Murphy, all the time. Uh Adam Murphy is an actor that I know from New York since before the auditions for Troma. And then he auditioned for Mr. Chips. He got the part of Mr. Uh. Chips. And so he called me up and said, hey, they offered me this part. Uh, I just want to know what it's like over there. And so he asked for my advice. And I told him, it's pretty cool. You know, there's a bunch of people. You got to bring a sleeping bag, whatever. And uh, you should come down. And so Adam Murphy eventually got into, you know, he 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 was in the movie. But I known Adam acting on an, a Ridgewood banking commercial from like three years <laughs> before that yeah so yeah new york is really small if you're acting you you pretty much know everybody in the city i totally forgot what the question was craziest shit you saw okay on the set yeah yeah so reverting back to that we'd go to dugers and then dugers we were drinking and one time zach amico he's uh one of the craziest like characters in the movie he starts he takes a staple and puts a dollar bill on his forehead and just staples his staples it to his forehead. And everyone is just like, what the fuck are you doing? And then he just kept doing it. <laughs> he put it on his arms, his oh, nipples, his chest. And I, we're all looking at him like, dude, there's a bunch of other guys here. We don't care. <laughs> I don't know who you're trying to impress. <laughs> and yeah, and then like I remember there was a... Uh, he had brought like a, a a stripper, and she teased everybody, and then she left. <laughs> <laughs> That's the job. Yeah, the I mean, job. we were all like, "What the hell? <laughs> Something." Yeah. yeah, staples. Yeah, self mortification. You get a interesting crowd in tra- with trauma. I it was imagine. weird. There was blood everywhere, and then like you know, he starts like bleeding, and so he licks the blood, uh, like spits out the blood, and then pours it all over his face, and nice. we're like, "Okay, nice." You know, some people are into that. I was just like, I just want to drink my beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Weirdness shows up in all ways, I guess. Yeah. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> Anything you didn't like about working on that set? Uh, I mean, it's one, like one of those things. It's like, 
a father that beats you and then you grow up, you still love him after. <laughs> <laughs> you, you a kiss with re- a fist is better than none? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's almost like looking back at all you can really think of are the good times, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean... I just remember some nights were super hot and the fans sucked. It got really hot in there until, like, you can get a personal fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were fucked. You were trying to just, like, move around to find... There were, like, three box fans. <laughs> yeah. Like, everyone was pleading, like, AC, can we get an AC? <laughs> and the producer was like, oh, we'll get you another box fan. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. How about, uh, how much of your own personality or style or uh, lines were you able to incorporate into your role or was everything just directed super specifically for you? No, Lloyd was great about that. Lloyd would totally let you sort of improv and he would accept anything (laughs) that you would like if it was good. Yeah. And uh, the majority of my lines made it in that I totally improv and I asked them right before. Like, if you watch the movie, there's a line where uh, we all mutate and we come out, there's all this smoke, and uh, I go, we mutated, and my, and my wheelchair's secretly, or my wheelchair's, my, my wheelchair's illogically mutated too. <laughs> That's the line, right? And then literally the next line, I improved and they kept it in the movie. So the next line is, and I think I can feel my legs. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> nice. Still a cripple. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, li- I love your redirects uh, in Stiff, too. Like, you get some of, some of these redirects in there. And it's like, oh, fucking classic, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, these tropes and all these cliches. That's what I love about writing these movies is that, like, right now, I've, I've written six movies since, or five since Stiff. So, six total. And... I, you know, for me, they each keep getting better and better. They say it takes about 10 until you sell your first one, but I'm pretty sure that someone will buy the 10th one and then go back and buy a sixth one or <laughs> a seventh one. Yeah. Yeah. They're getting, they're getting pretty good. They're getting really good. Before we talk about some of your other scripts, I just want to ask you. So you, you do stand up comedy periodically. So you, I imagine you, you, you write your jokes too. So I just want to ask, does your comedy writing, affect your script writing or does your script writing affect your comedy writing more or do they kind of just go hand in hand a lot of people bring that up to me they they say you're scattered to Mm me uh and i think when inspiration hits you write it down yeah and that's all you pretty much can do i mean until you have the time and then then you go full thing so to answer that question uh some of them go hand in hand. Some of the comedic jokes that I've written as a joke sometimes finds its way into a movie or a script and vice versa. Uh, wanted to write a scene for like a, a funny scene that I thought of that I wanted to put it in the movie. And then I realized, oh, this is probably better left alone as a sketch, like just a sketch. And so... Part of me is uh, <clears throat> right now I'm saving up to like buy a camera and like jump into shooting sketches uh, and shooting like short films and trying to make these feature films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. All right. Yeah, that answers that. I guess, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I'll jot down an idea and then if I have time to tease it out later or 
it stays in my brain. I keep thinking about it. Like, let me go add to it. And I guess telling a joke, you know, there's a story to it. You're set yeah. up. It's the same thing as, I guess, writing out a story. And so it can be acted out by different people or just you tell it and make it funny. Well, yeah, you know, I'll think about like sort of like a premise or something will hit me. And then I, I, you know where I test a joke out? I test a joke out in like lift cars and whatnot. Yeah. With people. And I gauge a reaction. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they give me a better punchline. Mm. I shit you oh. not. Yeah. I'm like, sorry, dude. I can't give you credit <laughs> for this, but I'll totally take the credit for this joke. Wow. Yeah. yeah so that's one of the things about stand up comedy that's, I think, really daunting is you have to practice in front of other people yeah. to get the reaction. You can't do it in a bubble. I think that's part of what this podcast is for me. It's like a, maybe an intermediary between doing stand up. I'm hitting the record button, so maybe that's even a little more dangerous because <laughs> it's out there forever. <laughs> oh, no. but, but it's giving me a little bit of a buffer between a lot, like, so, like a live audience, so to speak. So I'm able to just work with my voice and yeah, find the things I want to say and how I want to say it. You'd probably do better in front of a live audience. Probably, yeah. I Yeah, so I think part of the confidence that I've had to jump and do this is I've been doing more public speaking. You know, mm-hmm. as I mentioned before we got started, I'm starting into my fourth year in college, so I've had to do a shitload of presentations and yeah. public speaking events, and I've done interviews at school and, and hosted different things, and so now I'm just you being just out there to, more. I'm Puerto Rican, so just uh, explain this college thing to me. <laughs> What's that? College? Yeah, What's- yeah. So, so um, I go to this place every day, and these really nice people hold my hand and help me read books. Okay, work. Is it? No, no. I'm I, I'm actually paying them huge amounts of Wait. money, <laughs> and they're gonna just hold my hand and help me understand the book. Oh my! And then, yeah, to make sure that I understood it, they're gonna make me write a bunch of shit down and try to teach it to the class. Yeah, that doesn't. That's but, why but, I never. But when I'm done, <laughs> then I'll be accepted by my peers as a successful individual who is respectable and deserves a modicum of uh... people in Boston will then talk to you, <laughs> dude. It's like that in Boston. Yeah. Oh yeah. You go to any bar within the first five questions, like kid. Um, I'm not kidding. So where do you go to school? And this is men, women. Doesn't matter. Right or like where'd you study? And if you don't say college, like you, I never went. I'm not like I'm a waiter. They'll turn their back on you so quick and just start talking to somebody else. Yikes! Yeah, there's like, oh, this person obviously has no substance. So why keep a conversation? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I noticed that like in uh, Boston is somewhat similar to like Los Angeles, where you and I both know at a bar in New York, you know. 1.30 a.m., 2 a.m., you're having conversation with five, six different people at the same time at the bar. Then you're going out for smoke breaks, and you don't even smoke yeah. <laughs> because you're getting along with people. You're really clicking. Smoke breaks at a bar in New York led me to other jobs. It's how I found <laughs> out about barbecue, BBQs. I met another waiter from BBQs who turned me on to the job who I then ended up being in a band with and playing music in New York with The them. old dude. Uh, no, the Jim, crazy dude. Jimbo Brown. Crazy yeah. Dude. Yeah. Jimbo Brown in the Neptune Noon and 40. Yeah. Post-apocalyptic hillbilly blues. It right. Great. Yeah. Playing uh, tranny bars and auto shrunken head. Yeah. That was, that was pretty fucking wild. Yeah. But yeah, smoke breaks, whether or not I was smoking at, at bars in New York. Yeah. Since I quit drinking, uh, almost eight years ago, it's, I've had less 
social networking in that sense it's been uh, a lot of academics <laughs> yeah yeah recently yeah. which has been different but so but still a social circle around you that's like minded right like i said before you it's, people need that it's a yeah it's a different like mindedness though so there's much less arts and creativity it's there i just have to dig it out so i'm going to this uh buddhist liberal arts school mm-hmm. so Pretty much, I decided I, I wanted to move back to LA to be my, you know, I'm living here with my sister and her family, so I wanted to be a good part of a, an uncle and a brother and be part of the family. Um, you know, she's got a support system, but I, you know, I'm not going to have kids, and I, you know, want to be around the family. But coming back to LA, I needed something to do too. I'm like, I'm not just going to come back and be a nanny. So, so, uh, so let me ask you a question. Uh, Buddhist liberal arts does yeah. that stand for blah? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's <laughs> from time to time. Yeah. So so there's this this Buddhist college in Colorado, Naropa, and it's like fucking crazy, man. Like people used to give their thesis is naked, their dissertations naked, and super artsy, like like out there. And I thought it was going to be like a baby version of that. Yeah. But it's from a different Buddhist tradition. They're a little bit more conservative. Oh, yeah. So it's a, like I end up being kind of one of the louder people on campuses. Yeah. Campus you got to be clothed. You got to be clothed. <laughs> yeah. It's a, a little more conservative. Jeez. Um, it's like a prison. But yeah, so I, I, I was I was working and, you know, listening to podcasts to get some new information, but then going home and trying to, to learn on my own time. And I was just like, man, if I go back to school... Then I can spend all my time learning and stop giving my labor away to somebody else's bottom line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I, you know, I went back there and I'm, I'm able to have contemplative conversations and it's an, an interfaith setting. You know, I'm not particularly religious, but mm-hmm. I've been dabbling in religious conversations and just, you know, having having deeper conversations. It's been it's been cool to be there. They've got like a crazy esoteric library, you know, scriptures from all religions, as well as like interesting occult and sci phenomenon. Just fucking, I get lost in that library, man. It's super cool. So it's it's like a it's a it's a weird little place in in LA to to exist. And so, you know, they're Buddhist inspired, but it's also an American liberal arts college. So it's supposed to be a fusion of East meets West, and we've got a lot of students coming from China and Taiwan and other places around the world, so we've got a lot of international students. But it's really a small school. It's only like 400 students total. So oh, it's wow. not that big. It's really, it's really pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that sounds... Yeah. But it's, you know, it's, 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 like I started to say, it's given me an opportunity to practice public speaking. Right before I went, I came out for my sister's wedding, and I, I had to give a speech. And I, even though I, I, I more or less read it, I don't know, man, I was just so nervous and my mic was cutting out and I just, you know, I, I felt like I, I didn't do it justice. And, oh, yeah. And yeah. Imme- like the next year I took like a, a public speaking class and learned some of the ins and outs. And by the end of the semester, I was like feeling super good about it. I was like, man, I wish I would have took that class before I had to give a speech at the wedding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I took a stand up comedy class before I went up. I, I couldn't I couldn't try doing that by myself. Yeah. I didn't know how to really formulate a joke like you know writing. how to be funny, but you don't know how to formulate a joke, and that's a difference. Mm-hmm. I had a friend uh, say, you know, I'm going to write the best set, and then I'm going to go up and do it. I said, you're probably mm-hmm. not better. Yeah, you're probably better off just going <laughs> up. I'll write, like, your jokes, and then just go up. And it took him, like, a year, and he finally goes up to an open mic, and one joke lands. And literally the rest of his five-minute set was a bomb. And he gets off stage, and I'm like, hey, you, you got a good joke in there. Uh, you could work on it. I'm never doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just, he, that was it for him. 
And I said, yeah, dude, like, it's not easy starting. Especially starting anything is uh, really hard, especially, like, getting into joke writing. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I'm ready to broach it mm-hmm. now that I've gotten over Give me one. Go ahead. No, I don't I don't have anything <laughs> I don't have anything on the fly, but I just I, I think the thing that had been holding me up is I don't I don't wanna, you know, get up in front of a crowd and look stupid, but I think I have broached that and I'm over it and I'm past it and I, I don't give a fuck anymore. So I think it it, yeah. requ- it required a little bit of I don't give a fuck to You realize that's what stand-up comedy yeah, is. They absolutely. have to laugh at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And make a fool of yourself. I, Go ahead. It's fun. You know, I, I think I think I said this in the in the last podcast about like artist. I didn't. I, I thought artist was a dirty word because I I thought uh, you're not taking life seriously enough if you're being creative. But the reality of it is, I've been taking myself too fucking seriously for a long time. Like, I'm a tall, lanky, goofy ass <laughs> motherfucker. I'm silly, and for some reason, I, I I think I've had this idea that doing things like getting a degree or, or uh, wearing a collar from time to time are going to get people to to look at me with respect. But who the hell am I to like demand respect? Like, I'm just as goofy and learning what the, it is to be a human, just like anybody else. And so I, I think I've you know, now I'm in my upper thirties and I just, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling into what it means to be me and put myself out there in a more honest and vulnerable way without worrying so much about what the backlash is going to be. Oh yeah. I mean, I have people tell me all the time that like, well, you know, this isn't good. Why are you going to make it? And I, cause I want to, you know, yeah. like, or this joke is not funny. Don't say it. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say it anyways. I'll always hear someone out, uh, you know, constructive criticism is exactly what it is. It's constructive. Uh, <clears throat> but some people don't know how to say it a certain way. And, uh, you know, at, at some point as an adult, you have to say, I'm listening and I'm going to take what I want, but then I'm still going to do pretty much what I want anyways. Yeah. And that's what I think being an adult is. It's almost like full circle going right back to being a kid, right? Yeah. Because then you're you're growing up and you start listening to everybody else. You start listening to everybody else but yourself. And then you know yourself better than anyone. You can say, no, I, I can do this. I can do this. You know? Yeah. And other people are going to doubt you and listening to them makes you doubt yourself sometimes. Oh, yeah. So un- until you're confident in what you're doing... You got to kind of block it out a little bit. Yeah. 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 And I feel and also not- like you're, when your creative juices are flowing and you're like, well, this bad joke is getting me to that good joke or whatever. Yeah. Like it's all part of this flow right now. So quit stifling my flow and let me just jive. <laughs> yes, exactly. Dude, I have bad jokes purposely that I do say. And then because it's the recovery line that gets people laughing. <laughs> yeah. And people in cars will be like, oh, that's such a dad joke. And I'm like, that's because you're not drunk in a bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so have you always felt comfortable just being out there? Like for me, I know even being a waiter, mm-hmm. like I'm, uh, I don't mind talking to people, but that initial thing is kind of hard for me. So being a waiter has been helpful for me to like go up to people and talk to them. <clears throat> have you always felt outgoing and comfortable being in front of people? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was pretty much only after I got my teeth fixed. When I was a kid, I had really buck teeth. And then one of them had a chip in it. They used to call me Chupacabra. <laughs> that came out in the movie a little bit. Yeah. I, I like that scene. Yeah. Yeah. That was a funny scene. <laughs> and so, uh, I got my teeth fixed and then, and then, you know, so, like, I just felt like 
When I was a kid, all I ever wanted was just to have straight teeth. And once I got that, it, I, everything else kind of brushed off to the side. It just felt It was all like, just bonus. Yeah, everything was bonus. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a short dude. Uh, uh, I'm not particularly, like, handsome. But, like, once I got my teeth fixed, it's like... I'm the Joey Mac, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I never like I don't know. It just no. Uh, yeah, you know everyone's like self conscious, but I just feel like if you're an average, normal looking guy, just just be a good person, talk to people, and be real. Like mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people can't do. That's when you find yourself talking about the weather mm-hmm. or whatever the hell. Especially now, everyone's got a filter, dude. Everyone's afraid to say something. Yeah. And we've never lived in, like, a scarier time where you, if you have a joke or something that's, like, offensive or whatever. I, I mean, comedy is one of the last places where you can push the edge. And, yeah, there's – the line is getting tighter and tighter these days, but there's there's still an edge. And some of the, the shows that aren't recorded and broadcasted get a little bit wilder. And even the ones that maybe don't have as big of a platform. Like, uh, have you ever listened or gone to a Kill Tony show? No. Do you know this? No. Kill Tony over on the west side. So this guy Tony Hinchcliffe, he's a comedian and uh they he has he has a stage, he's got a table, uh red bands up there with him doing sounds and sometimes talking in the mic and then they have other comedians come up every every show different comedians come and join them. And they have a bowl and all the people in the audience put their name in a bowl and they pick a name and you get to come up and do 1 minute. You come come up and do 1 minute. <clears throat> and the audience wants to see you fail more than they want to see you succeed. Oh yeah. Because after that minute Kill Tony and the guests interview him. Oh shit! You know, like how long you been doing comedy, and like <laughs> what's interesting about you that we would want to hear. And they just, and you know, it, sometimes it goes really fucking weird. You know, sometimes people are drunk, or one guy was on mushrooms and freaked out. They had to drag him off. Sometimes <laughs> it, go, it goes really bad. Where but, is this? But sometimes it's a lot of fun. I, I want to say the comedy store. I, mean, I can look it up. Kill Tony. Yeah, it's on, it's on the west side. They he broadcasts as a podcast as well as uh, you can watch it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I think last winter break, I pretty much spent the whole break just watching <laughs> that shit, and I was like, oh my god, yeah, I got I got pretty immersed in it because you're just watching. Watching people who maybe it's their first time or people who have been doing it for a few years. So you get a good, a good range of new comics and then you've got the vets on stage just, just cracking wise and also interviewing them. So it's fucking entertaining. If you're interested in going, I'd go down with you sometime. Oh, I'd go whenever. Yeah, Yeah, dude. You let me know. Let's go to a show. That, uh, that was like, that sounds funny as hell. Watching first timers that have never gone out. And it's just 60 seconds. So it's not. That's, That's painful. Like <laughs> the American Idol of stand-up comedy, where people get to just look at you and be like, "What the hell are you thinking?" Yeah, because the majority of the first-time jokes are funny to only those people. <laughs> like, it's yeah. not a wide variety. They don't <laughs> pick their audience, so they'll tell a joke that's like funny between them and two friends, mm-hmm, and then <laughs> suddenly you're looking at them like. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> the inside jokes don't fly in yeah. the crowd. Yeah, yeah, you had to be there. That doesn't work, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's fucking cool, man. Uh, we should check it out. Yeah, I'm down. I'm down. Yeah, that's great. Um, so about these other scripts you wrote. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into some of those. What else? Uh, what else you got on the do- on the docket? All right. So I wrote uh, four comedies. I just recently wrote. Um, a movie called Man Enough. Man Enough. Man Enough, which is like one of, I think, my favorite ideas ever. All right. 
All Tell right. me more. All right. So this movie was particularly written for Kevin Hart. Okay. Yeah. I was imagining Steven Seagal when you said the title, but Kevin Hart, tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. I haven't heard the premise yet. <laughs> All right. So picture Kevin Hart. He works at Timber, a dating app. All right. Uh, Sounds like a lot of log jamming. I like it already. Yeah. Log jamming, <laughs> right? The, 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 the thing is the logo is like Timber. We set them up. You knock them down. Nice. And there's a woodchuck like on a tree. Right, so Kevin basically works in the IT department. And he cannot get a date to save his life, so he manipulates a swipe system so that anybody lands on his page automatically swipes right. Okay, all right. He is finally going on all these dates. All right, he's getting a little cocky. He goes on a date with Ronda Rousey, right? UFC girl, tough girl, right? Nice. <clears throat> so they're at a bar. They mash. They click. Right. They leave the bar. A mugger comes up. He's like, give me your money. And Kevin Hart's like, oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure. She's like, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. So bottom line is the mugger knocks out Kevin Hart and uh, uh, Ronda Rousey knocks out the mugger. Kevin Hart wakes up in her bed, looks around. He sees Tough mutter trophies, Olympic gold medals, UFC <laughs> belts, right? He's like, holy shit. So he goes to get out of bed. And she walks in. He's like, hey, I'm not wearing any pants. And she's like, yeah, you kind of had an accident. And he's like, oh, I like peed myself. And she's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, he is completely emasculated. The next shot is him walking home in her jeggings, (laughs) doing the walk of shame, right? She's trying to call him up. And he's like, "Uh, no, I can't. I can't. I'm really busy. Until his friend convinces him that he just got to prove to her that he's man enough. And so, the rest of the movie is proving to her that he's man enough. Oh, I like it. Yeah, it's of the times. It's great. It's, uh, you got Kevin Hart being Kevin Hart, Ronda Rousey being Ronda Rousey. It's perfect. So, if you guys are out there, uh, hit me up. Nice. (laughs) That's cool, man. What's the one that's not a comedy? Uh, I wrote one called, it was originally called Deadpool, about an Uber pool ride gone wrong. <laughs> so, a guy basically... Um, What's the genre? Her, uh, horror. Horror. Yeah. It's more <laughs> more psychological thriller, but, you know, it's got its horror elements. Mm-hmm. So, a person gets into a car uh, and starts killing people, and he tells the Uber ride driver to keep driving, keep keep picking people up and so it's basically saw meets collateral in a car all right yeah should be uh not too expensive to film <laughs> yeah you nailed it dude <laughs> shoot low budget the summer's over <laughs> high concept shoot that in a week hell yeah 50 grand i like that eric like that. roberts so uh <laughs> speaking of shooting on a budget i just gotta say i i liked uh noticing in your music credits to stiff that uh fatty kevin mcleod soundtrack oh yeah <laughs> i was the i can't you know, looking for music for this podcast uh i, I used some of that in the first episode and Oh I, yeah, I may end up using some more. Also, to anybody listening, I'm looking to get some good music for this podcast, so I'm 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 looking to reach out to some some funky produ- uh, music producers and whatnot. I might do that Artlist subscription. Mm. Yeah. Have you heard of that? 
It's yeah, a expensive. yeah, I know. I, I, I've so I've been thumbing through a lot of the the free or uh, licensable music, and yeah, there's some good sites out there, and you get you know you get a lot more access if you you pay the little subscription fee. But it seems yeah, it seems oh, man, worth it. You yeah. should totally reach out to them. I'll plug them right now, and then you just say, uh, hey, uh, <laughs> sponsor the podcast. Yeah, but yeah. no, this uh, the artist one is like two hundred dollars a year, and you have access to everything. Like it's not for everybody, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you're gonna do like one or two projects a year, probably not worth it for you. Yeah. But I want to get one. Yeah, I mean, for film, you're using so many different sounds throughout the movie and throughout the skits and whatnot. That that makes sense. I mean, for something like this, you know, I think probably once I find the the right music, I'll stick with it. Yeah. Maybe maybe, uh, plug some different bands from time to time. I think I'm going to keep the show kind of like a mullet business in the front party in the back so the the openers are going to be straight to the business and then you know uh the bumper on the end being a little more weird and sharing a little little more funky stuff maybe promoting some uh local artists and bands and stuff yeah but yeah business up front party in the back yeah there you go yeah mullet yeah (laughs) (laughs) a little white trashy for my style but uh why not yeah (laughs) you got any other scripts you want to talk about uh, let's see, Man Enough, Deadpool. Deadpool? I, I Wasn't there already a movie with that name? <laughs> yeah. Some people say, uh, they're like, oh, aren't you afraid someone's going to rent your movie? Because it's, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm sort of hoping it. <laughs> oh, but what if they confuse it for the wrong way? I'm like, you think they're going to ask for their money back? Because a lot of people don't do that. You know, Hollywood's been doing that for years. Right? This is the first time it would be done in a poll. Like, how can you actually, like, mistake a, a character who's, like, Deadpool, yeah. uh, with, like, a guy in a car? <laughs> like, I can't make a poster that's gonna look like, so it's, it is what it is. It'd be like, you know, Mike Baez is Deadpool or Deadpool 2018 or whatever. Or with the space between the dead and the pool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, you yeah. know, Death Pool, Pool of Death. Over, I don't know. Share Ride Killer. Death, I don't know. I like Death Pool. Yeah. More than Deadpool. Death, death pool? pool? Yeah. That might work. Yeah, I don't know. I like it. Yeah, but That's I'm cool. pretty sure there's a death pool out there too, right? <laughs> That's true. There's a pool. Pretty common words. Yeah. <laughs> One pool, three kids. Way too Four. much chlorine. Four. <laughs> yeah. Four deaths. How? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's hard to come up with anything new these days. It's all bric-a-brac. The pool that will burn your eyes. I really like the bass on these mics. Yeah, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not too bad at all. So how's your comedy been these days, man? Uh, I haven't been doing it as much. Uh... Yeah, I don't really know why. Kind of busy driving. Driving those <laughs> death pools. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah I you got to make that money for your, your camera, right? If you, you know, I know you do. Do you do more film? Yeah, I'm trying to really like the get comedy into is it. Just a way to test it out, test out your your film writing stuff, huh? Yeah, comedy is fun. I just feel like you know, someone gave me some great advice. I'd love stand up comedy, and they said. If you really, really want to do something, you'll find a way to do it. Mm-hmm. You'll do it five, six days a week if you can, yeah. right? So with this stand-up comedy, it's not something I really, really want to do. I want to make films. Mm-hmm. I want to make funny films. So that's that advice was great. Yeah. That advice was great because when I said that, I said, 
okay, well then I gotta really be real to myself. I want to put myself in funny situations, in mm-hmm. funny circumstances, inside movies, inside sketches. But stand-up comedy is, I don't think, you know, I can make people laugh around me, but I don't think I'm a real stand-up comic. I think, like, the idea is that I get funny on TV, and then I can maybe try and do a stand-up special, or try, mm-hmm. if, like, I get on a good TV show, or I make a good movie, or whatever, but... yeah. That stuff to me comes first. And so, you know, then you got a lot of people looking at you like, oh, man, you should just do stand-up comedy. You should just focus on stand-up comedy. And you're like, I know what you think I should be doing, (laughs) right? But you're, you know, and then the person's talking to me is like six feet five. I'm like, you should play basketball, right? (laughs) You should, uh, I don't know, like hang. Wash windows. Yeah, wash (laughs) windows. I don't know, right? Like, oh, you're built for it. Yeah. Yeah, Mike, are you really sure you should be a uh, a horse jockey? I can't stand horses. Why would I want to be a horse jockey? Yeah, you know what I mean. Don't 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 micromanage me. <laughs> don't put me in a box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, jump up on that soapbox. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's fucking good, dude. Yeah, you're you're doing it up. Are you are you promoting this bad circuit? No, not you're, really. You're... I'm starting something new, actually. Uh, I'm going to be starting a production company where we're trying to focus on making one to two movies a year. Nice. Of the ones that I've ran. So, yeah, that's it. I'm trying to is that is that already established as a name? You gonna start working on that, or or is it kind of still in the works? Everything is still in the works. Uh, it doesn't really have a name. I don't really have uh, potential partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm still trying to find people that are like-minded mm-hmm. that that really want to spend most of their days even like writing and making it happen. What yeah. I find a lot out here is that a lot of people want to meet mm-hmm. about having a meeting yep. and nothing is getting done. Yeah, Nothing. That has definitely been my experience out here as well. I'm not in the same industry as you are, but in... Across the board, planning events because I, I try to participate and work on and help people do different things. It's hard to get people to actually do yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, dude. Uh, hey, you're a fucking hustler, man. Like, and like, well, I, I, th- want... I think Troma is uh, exemplary of that. You know, it's fucking doing it. It's hands on. Like, well, not gonna it... wait for somebody to give you permission or, or give you the funding. Like, yeah, that's let's what I mean. Do it. Ninety <laughs> percent of the people. Like, if you look at their first scripts, it's like, oh, it's a dystopian future on a spaceship. And you're like, yeah, it's a $5 million movie. Why do you think no one's going to make it or even looking twice at it? Because if they want a dystopian movie, they'd hire a Hollywood guy to write that. man. Yeah. Yeah, bro. Lead with death Four people. Work up to One car. Like, three GoPros. Like, your budget's like 300 bucks. Work on that. Make it good. Yeah. You know what I mean? But too many people want to break out with like, you know, the Dark Knight and their first movie and they want to they wanna do all these things. And I'm like, well, why don't you write something you can shoot yourself so that you can show off your work, right? Oh, but you know, um, it's going to cost $100,000. I mean, well, does it have to? Then write <laughs> something else. It's going to cost you like... 2000 3000 something you could shoot in a room shoot a short film but too many people are just they just i don't I think, know you know the aim for the moon 
right? But people want to start there too. <laughs> you can't start where you're aiming. You got to sometimes, yeah. sometimes work up to it, and people don't want to take that. Romeo and Juliet. Route. If you look at that original script by James Gunn, it wasn't even in proper format. It was a transcribed script. It was literally dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. He says, she says, she says. There's literally no action, I don't think, in the script if you look at it. Yeah. And that's how he started. You know what I mean? But work begets work, right? Yep. You, like, Get the, the people. It's a flow, man. It's really just building on the momentum and yeah, making and more connections and getting more gear and learning more skills and it builds on itself it builds on itself right so like uh you know you started with uh buying the equipment right then like maybe next month you'll like start sh- filming this right mm-hmm. and then you get a little camera and you put it up and the next thing you know like you got a youtube show mm-hmm. right but it <laughs> You're not going to go out first day and buy all this shit and then just be like, oh, I got, I got five views. Nobody likes me. Yeah, no one knows who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not <laughs> expecting it to really pick up until I've, I've got got it out there for a while and I got yeah. a couple dozen episodes for people to listen to and some momentum yeah. and, I find, like I said, find the voice. Well, and do it, you know, know, know do what it really because you love it. Yeah, that's you exactly <laughs> what it is. That's exactly what it is, yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, I don't know. But uh, I like to write... You know, movies that are like low budget, high concept. Mm-hmm. So I'm writing one right now called Death Prank, and it's about a YouTuber who um, pulls off a prank that's pretty dangerous, and I'll leave it at that. All right. Yeah. yeah. Don't give it too much away. Exactly. If you could uh, make any movie or work with anybody right now, what would it be? I would make Man Enough with Kevin Hart and Ronda <laughs> Rossi. That would be my dream. If I got to wake up and direct those two, like, in the, my movie, I could die right after. Yeah. I would be the best. Nice. You know? Man. Kevin Hart, if you're out there, read Man Enough. <laughs> is, is it out there? Man Enough is done as far as a script. I just don't have a literary agent. So I can't even send them this stuff. That's the other thing, you know? There's a lot of nepotism and uh, Mm -hmm. who you know in Hollywood. And until you meet the right people, man, you can't even submit. You've been out here for a couple years now? Two years. Two years? Yeah. Is there anything you would point people towards to check out or to to look at to to get a hold of you? Like, we'll include your contact and stuff all in the show notes to this episode. But if you want to point people towards your work, you got stiffed out there? Yeah, I'm going to start centralizing all of my videos because for a while, I was making music videos for people and I was being a cinematographer. Yeah, I I saw that one. You had a video on there and then I I clicked on it and it's just like this lady singing this like beautiful, peaceful music. And I'm like, that doesn't look like Mike's style. (laughs) (laughs) Like the cinematography. Yeah, it was was good. And so I figured that must have been what it was. Oh, that's just a music video I'm editing right now. But if you look at my, my, uh, I have a DP reel, but you know. I realize I'm shooting on like a Sony A6500. You have real cinematographers out there with a the red. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to make music music videos for people that could like only afford like two or three hundred bucks. So that way I win and they win, and then they would still get a really good like shot music video. But they're not breaking the bank. Like not 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 everyone is signed. Not everyone has like a recording deal and like ten thousand dollars to blow on a music video they don't they usually have like some of them like three to five hundred bucks 
And Are you know, available to make those kind of music videos right now? No, I'm not. And that's why I sold my camera, my gimbal, and it broke my heart. But, uh, you know, there's certain things I, I love doing that stuff. And I would like to do it with films, with actual films. The only thing is that those opportunities aren't presenting themselves to me. So <clears throat> I try to, I'm trying to hone in and focus on just like three things, which is like writing, filmmaking, auditioning. Mm-hmm. And so even the stand-up comedy has taken sort of a backseat. I used to make music videos for people and shoot stuff for free for their reel oh, wow. because I like doing it. Yeah. But, but here's the thing, right? And then you got no time for yourself. Mm-hmm. So the original company, like that, I the idea that I had was called Film Favor, and that's what that Film Favor promotion was oh. about. So it's all the stuff I, like I shot, yeah. And the idea was that you bid on your project, but what happens there is that then you'll never get a like a a, a good client. You'll never get a named client. You'll never get a branded client, someone that's willing to actually spend money. And, like, I was okay with that, but there's a lot of people that just, they just ask for too much when you offer it for so little. It's almost like they don't respect your work or your time. And then it becomes this thing of, like, you're like, hey, can you just pay me the 100 bucks you promised me after I did the six revisions on your thing? And they're like, oh, yeah, I'll get it out to you. And then you're like, they don't don't respect you. Yeah, it's... it's It's tough being so open to working with people because so few are grateful and appreciative and willing to put in the effort that they're asking. Yeah. But occasionally you do find those people and, and it's and it's it's magic. So I imagine you had some good experiences doing that. But No. No? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, no, they were great. Met a lot of real uh, cool people and they also have given me uh, access to th- some of their music. So uh, yeah. I'll totally let you... Uh, Talk to them after that way. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that after for sure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, some of the writing that you're doing now and committing to does that include like skits? Like I saw that one online, Bro Code. That was yeah. pretty funny. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I come up with like a bunch of sketches, sketch ideas every day, and so that's what why I'm trying to save up for the camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to do like three or four sketches, and then I want to like pitch it as like a pilot or something. Along those lines. Or if not, then just throw it up on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. I want people to see my work. I want people to see, like, there are certain situations that I have thought of, which I think are just extremely hysterical that needs to get shot. I'll give you an example, right? Please. Yeah. Okay. Guy pulls up to the Starbucks window. He orders his drink, right? He sees the girl behind the thing. She's really pretty. He likes her, right? He wants to leave a tip, but every time he goes to leave the tip, she turns around. So she never gets to see him leave the tip. Something like that, to me, is something I could totally exploit, have fun with, Mm -hmm. and shoot in like a couple hours, and it would be the most fun, hysterical thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because we've all been there, right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it's those, those weird, quirky, uncomfortable observations that really, I don't know, people, everybody has those kind of interactions. So we all can identify with it real easily. Yeah. Yeah, It's very Seinfeld-y. I had written another episode of Bro Code, but the thing is, the next one I wrote is at a bar, which we have to rent. And I don't have the money and I don't have the camera right now. Uh, So eventually, you know, I kind of had to start over when I sold all my equipment because like... Uh, I had left my job, 
uh, as a waiter. And I left kind of abruptly. So then I had to catch up with like some bills and I sell all my equipment. But I'm really, I'm really looking forward to getting some new equipment and shooting some really cool stuff. Cause like I, I get the advice for people like, oh, that's been done before. That's this. That's that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's been done. It's not been done by me. Yeah. So you got to wait till you see my take on it. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that's definitely. <laughs> Yeah, knowing you and getting to hang out with you personally, like you got this whole thing with you and the other waiter where you guys are joking, you have a rap battle, there's all kinds of funny shit between you guys behind the scenes as waiters. And that's definitely reflective of my experience with other waiters, just always shooting the shit and like yeah. making cracking wise. And I don't think I've ever had any epic rap battles before, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, like I have enjoyed having you as a friend and getting to see your quirky observations. Cause like, like you said earlier, you know, it's about being real and, and like being honest and how you did deliver your art. And you're, you're definitely an authentic human being. You're, you're always, yeah, you're definitely not sugarcoating anything. And so I think your observations really connect with people. Yeah. I appreciate it's, it's, it's that. Pretty, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't like talking to people that are somewhat like fake or just, um, uh... Being around the bush, being polite and nice. Not that I'm a rude person or anything like that, right? But if you start talking about, like, just stuff I don't, like, I'm like, hey, let's revert that conversation back to here. Let's talk about something interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of uh, keeping it serious and or keeping it real, uh, how about, can we, let's talk about Puerto Rico for a second since you, you mentioned earlier you're Puerto Rican. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my last guest on, uh, on, on the podcast, she actually grew up in Puerto Rico. So we got into, into a little bit. She's really politically oh. active. So we don't have to delve too far into politics, but, um, yeah. You have family there or have you been back? Uh, what's my, your direct experience in connection with Puerto Rico? And then what do you think about some yeah. of the recent events? Soy Boricua. <laughs> yeah. I'm Puerto Rican. I was born and raised in New Haven, Connecticut, but I graduated high school in Puerto Rico. I went back there from 14 to 17. A lot of people don't know that. And so I got to see what it was like. You know, when I went there, I before moving there, I was taking intro. What was I taking? I was taking t- trigonometry in the ninth grade, right over here in the states in Connecticut. And then I moved to Puerto Rico, and I'm taking intro to algebra, which I had took in the sixth grade over here. Their education system is like it's not very good. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's like wrong over there. It's not like that's not working, mm-hmm. and, and the corruption is like at the top of all of that stuff. Um, uh, dude, it's sad because like people already had a perception of Puerto Ricans and Latinos in general that they're lazy and there's you know thieves and all this, and then this guy Rosello goes and pulls some shit like this. Dude, like, I, I, it just infuriates you because you're literally giving, like, person like Trump just all this, like, see, I told you, yeah. see, I told you, and that's, that's like, that's not what it's about, you know? $92 billion. We see, we see government and everywhere being super corrupt, so I, I, I don't think it's fair, f- although it happens, for people to judge the entire 
place based on how their leaders behave. I yeah. sure as shit know that I wouldn't want to be judged by Trump's behavior. <laughs> right. So I don't, I don't think you can, you know, hold the people accountable. Uh, furthermore, how they responded in yeah, that mass was pretty demonstration, cool. I think speaks more to their character than him, than the actions of their leader. Yeah, that was really cool to see. Like, I love the fact that when you, when, when they were giving the interviews, they're like, yeah, we're not going to stop. We're yeah. not going to stop. We're just going to go every single day until he leaves. And Jesus Christ, that guy, what an ego. Yeah. Like three days in and he's like, uh, I understand you're upset. <laughs> no, dude. No. Yeah. Pack your things <laughs> and get out. I don't. Yeah. I, okay. Uh, let's talk about. No. No. <laughs> This guy. Yeah, didn't quite get the message. Yeah. So you still got family down there? Uh, I have a uh, distant relative. Not distant, but like a, uh, an aunt, uh, cousins. But, you know, they're family that I haven't really talked to in a while mm-hmm. since, like, I moved there since I was a kid. Okay. That's just part of my family that doesn't really – we don't interact that much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I still have family. My grandmother, she's like out here in Boston now. So okay. they were just there. And my mom and my grandmother was just there because my grandmother has to sell the house because of water damage now. Oh. And the trip and everything lost them a lot of money. Like my mom is pretty much broke now. Uh, just with plane tickets going back and forth and dealing with the lawyers and all that stuff. I mean, I wasn't there. I don't really know the details, but yeah, my grandma lost a lot of money and, uh, she like now she, she has no place to retire a house or anything. Wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty sad. Yeah. I wonder what people are going to do as weather keeps getting crazier and it's going to just be more destructive for people's property. You know, I... well, we'll figure out ways to, uh, build houses out of like steel cast iron that still roll. <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of people are making tiny houses out of shipping containers. Yeah. That seems like a good way to go. I thought about doing something like that. I Dude. probably couldn't do it in California because you can't afford the land to put it on, but. Right. Yeah. Take it anywhere else, and it seems like a, a good way to go about living in a tiny house. You know where I'm moving to at the end of the month? No. Whole, I mean, this is. The... I'm moving to an artist commune. Where? Uh, over on Sunset. Oh, nice. Right, I'm sorry, uh, off of Melrose. Okay. Right it's off of like Melrose. Silver Lake or further? It's Hollywood. Hollywood? Yeah. Um, dude, it's, I think it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Yeah, I'm going to be like with like-minded people. The space is not big at all. So I'm going to like get rid of all my stuff just so I can be there and like write full time and write the jokes and then perform and try and get into an acting class across the street. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I've had different friends who lived in art communities and it's just a different energy, man. Like fucking a, like everybody's doing something. There's always events or yeah, it's just, it's really, I think it's really inspiring to be around other people who are just in it and really committed to their craft and their art. I can't, uh, when I was going to acting school, I was happy. Whenever I was like uh, on set, I was happy. And then lately, I'm just like, why am I so upset? Why am I not happy? I'm not even on set. I'm not. I told my agent the other day, I'd rather be an extra than like drive around for like five or six hours. Send me on set. I'll be an extra. I'll hang out. 
Fucking A, man. Yeah, the industry does not... It's never seemed very appealing to me. I guess that's why I feel safe putting out a podcast as a labor of love. No commitment, low overhead. I don't got to worry about turning my buck, and it's it's all for fun. Yeah, dude. Yeah, man. Sounds sounds like you need to start maybe just make some some shitty little sketches for uh, just to get get the the flow going to feel, oh, feel some dude. joy. I know, I know. I just feel like I selling my camera was just so tough on me, and I'm trying to. I'm such a little camera freak. Like I love cameras. And what's the next one you gonna get? I want to get a Black Magic Pocket Cinema camera. It's only like thirteen hundred bucks. Yeah. And then you know lenses. Everything is probably like two Gs. Yeah. Not much, but uh, I gotta save up for it. It's crazy. How many miles <laughs> in the Uber you gotta put in for that shit? Yeah. Damn. Like Three thousand. Well, <laughs> but you're downsizing. It's gonna be cheaper at the next spot you're going to next month. What was that? The next you know, the art spot you're moving to is gonna be. Lower rent? It's actually roughly the same. About the same? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, how can I save up? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Extra Uber rides? Uh, I don't know. Figure it out. Yeah. I'll be driving Switch all month. back to the ramen. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Shit, man. Maybe more, some, some more collaboration. Maybe somebody else has a, a camera they're willing to work with. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. You know, maybe you use my story. We use your camera. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. You got a lot of material, so... Yeah, a lot of people are short on material and high on funds. So yeah, <laughs> you just need you need somebody to executive produce or something. <laughs> yeah, dude, you know, like they are, it, it it happens every day. You see people with someone that believes in them that can back them, and I don't think uh, I don't think I'd be asking for too much, regardless. So uh, probably just meeting the right guy that's willing to back some projects. Mm-hmm. You know, not. Not anything that's going to break the bank. Not a million dollar feature, you know? Yeah. You got any other small projects besides like the the car (laughs) film or... Yeah, I got a a short film I've been wanting to do for a while. It's called Disarmed. And the idea is that we're going to try and get Danny Trejo in it. (laughs) I like it already. Yeah. Hell yeah. Have you been to his new restaurant? (laughs) I have. It's really good. I haven't been out there. That's awesome. Oh, dude. I was kind of asking you as a joke, but that's fucking cool. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good food. He wasn't there, though, was he? No. No. (laughs) My girlfriend's seen him a couple times, though. Nice. But the tacos are really good. I like the bowls, though. They're really good. Hell, yeah. Mm -hmm. The margaritas are a little tart. It's a little (laughs) too much. uh, What's that? Sweetener? uh, The the, sweet and sour? What is it? Or the... Uh, it's a, the, 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 the sour mix. Okay. Way okay. too much sour mix. It gives you like that heartburn. You're like, oh, God. <laughs> I'll have to take your word for it. So disarmed. <laughs> what uh, What's Trejo going to be doing in this? So Trejo would be the lead. Um, I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is in, um, he's an ex-disarmament soldier coming. Uh, disarmament soldier? Yeah. What is I, that? A disarmament soldier or trainer is the guy that shows you how to disarm somebody if a if a gun is pointed at close range and you are about to die, they'll teach you how to disarm the person and, okay. and, and get away safely. Yeah. Right? Gotcha. So he's a disarmament trainer and so he's back from the army. He's in town and he's looking to give one gift to someone and then I can't really say anything else, but um, it's a really exciting 10 to 15 minute short for me, and I think Trejo would be perfect for it, and he's like the independent 
God out here. Like you can reach out to his stuff. I have all of his contact info and we're going to pitch him like how much we can pay him Mm -hmm. and then try and shoot this short. And I got a guy with like a red and that kind of stuff. So I want to make this and then have it be a calling card and then send it to film festivals. Hell yeah. And then that's when I think I could network more is Mm -hmm. just when I meet maybe a producer in like a film festival and say, oh, you like this? We'll take a look at these. Yeah, yeah. You know? So what do you need before you can make that pitch? Uh, the 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 Trejo movie? Yeah. Like 5Gs. That's it? Yeah. Man. It's crazy. I might, I might, maybe I'll just sign up for another credit card and yeah. uh, I'll fund your next film on uh, on credit. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's crazy Shit, because, like, you know, you got tons of people with money out here. Yeah. It's just uh, – but, like, you know – it, that's mainly for the art because if you ask for $5,000 to make a short film, what's a producer going to say? It's a short film. It's not going to make any money. And that's not what it's about, dude. It's yeah, about you the need somebody who wants to do it for the for the love of it. Exactly. Yeah. And then, like, then when – if the movie gets into any film festivals, if, if it's good enough, right, then you're a producer on a really good short film with a name actor. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, you can get other stuff. That's what I'm hoping, but – it's like every day is just a process and a struggle and trying to do it. And it's a collaborative process, man. You know, I wish so hard that I was just born out here and that, like, I had money. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but then you wouldn't have any grit, man. <laughs> uh, You'd be writing soft shit. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear yeah, that. Come on. Two people on. talking at a bar. <laughs> yeah. No way, man. No way. Oh, man. Yeah, that would be cool to get that, that made. Did you, um, were you able to get stiffed into any kind of festivals or Yeah, I got showings? into one, one film festival in New York. I think it was like, uh, New York Filmmakers. I think that was it. I, I totally forgot. Yeah, that's all right. And then, uh, then I had a private screening in Boston where we rented out a theater. Oh, cool. That was dope. Did you film that? Uh, I got pictures from uh, it, but, uh, that was an awesome experience. I we bet. filled up every seat. It was only like a, a 64 seat theater, but mm-hmm. imagine 64 of your closest friends and family watching your movie on the screen. Oh, man. No other feeling like it. That must be so cool. Yeah, it was epic. Yeah, that's yeah. great. What kind of feedback did you get from, from your movie? Oh, dude, the second people started laughing, my heart filled oh, up. Oh, yeah. When they genuinely just laugh, like, <laughs> and it, it wasn't, it didn't need a huge, <laughs> all I cared about were the little, <laughs> this guy, yeah. yeah, the talking, but I've been to Hollywood premieres out here, and you can tell in the chatter if it's like, if it's stand, like, if it'll stand alone or if it won't. If people are laughing in parts that they shouldn't be laughing at, you, you got another room on your hand. You know, like the room, the movie. Mm. Uh, but for the most part, when people watch Stift, I loved the reactions. That's great. Did you do any kind of uh, – I know a lot of movies will do a screener and then make a bunch of edits. Did you do any kind of screening before you you did a final edit? Oh, yeah. There were like – Man, there were like six rough cuts on that movie. Oh, man. The first, oh, dude, the first <laughs> rough cut in New York. Okay, let me tell you this story. I ran out 
a little spot in like the Lower East Side the garage or something like that and i have a projector i'm like oh this is a great spot we'll drink we'll watch a movie it's just a rough cut right so dude i i was in such a rush to get the thing done i started doing edits like the night before and then that had to render and then i had to make a dvd out of it right and it wasn't the, working the night the before day, no, no the day of uh, no good no good so, so i finally rendered out mm-hmm. a 480 version that's half of a 1080 you know what i mean and this is going to be in a projector oh uh, dude then i had to make two dvds so i had to split one with half of the footage and the other one with the other half of the footage we show up the sound is all over the place. It's all – there's so much background noise in some shots. There's no noise in another. So, like, I was like, is there a way I can stand by the volume and just, like, equalize it while we watch it like a dumbass? Because I have no, like, sound live, engineering. Live sound for your film. That's yeah, dude. So we start watching it. And, you know, right before we go up, someone's like, let me buy you a shot. Oh, it's your first movie screening? I'm going to buy you a shot. I'm like, okay. Guy buys me a shot. Another person buys me a shot. I'm fucking hammered, dude. <laughs> so is there some truth in the in the film about you being a lightweight? <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> yes. Well, you mean you took like six shots in the movie. Oh, yeah. And, and then reality, it's only like two or three. So I'm like two or three shots in or whatever. I'm watching the movie. And I start doing the nod thing. The room starts spinning. I don't even hear anybody. I'm in my own little vacuum of space, right? I run to the bathroom and I hurl. I go throw up. And then suddenly, like, I look up and there's, like, two of my friends that are there, like, holding me up. And I'm like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. You guys are missing the movie. Get back out there. So we go back out. I, I see, like, my co-writer is looking at me with disgust because he brought, like, a friend who, like, he told about the movie and they wanted to work with me on some other stuff. And then they're like, yeah, no, we're not going to work with this oh, guy. Oh, man. <laughs> so uh, I puke. I get back there, dude. I put on the second DVD. People start leaving. Ouch. People start leaving, like. Three quarters of the way through, they're like, all right, man, I got to get going. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, it's cool. Heartbroken. And then, like, they left. They saw a shitty version of a half a resolution of a movie that wasn't cut with no music. And I remember thinking, I will never show a rough cut again. Yeah. Yeah, it hurt. That's got to, yeah, that's got to be hard. I, man. Good on you for like finishing this shit afterwards, man. I might have, <laughs> I might have just lit the whole thing on fire and walked yeah. away and never spoke about it again, dude. <laughs> that I sounds asked, terrible. It, yeah, it was. Not only that, I was asking ask, actors to come back for reshoots, and they're like, oh. they're like, no, dude, I'm not doing. I was like, I'll pay you, I'll pay you. I'll put on twenty pounds. Yeah, we'll, we'll reboot it. They're like, no, it's not Did worth you get it. Get anybody to come back? Did you do any reshoots? Uh, yeah, like one or two. Mm-hmm. But one of my friends is like really, really like he helped a lot. Other people didn't believe in it so much. So they were just like, yeah, no, I'm not coming back. You got what you need. You'll figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> you did, man. It came out good. I, I, I liked it all the way up until the end. Uh, 
yeah, I, I like I like how it came full circle and you tied up your loose ends and I thought you did a real good job putting it together, man. Yeah, thank you, man. I mean, all in all, I think the story was okay. There's a lot of holes that I couldn't fix in the moment. And then like the direct the the photography and the sound were just like uh if I know what I wanted, I couldn't execute it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like one of those things, but I was a learning experience, huh? Yeah, dude. Even the editing process, I had to sync up 1,500 clips just to know if it was a good clip. Shit. Yeah, that movie took me over a year to edit. There's a lot of grunt work. Damn. Yeah, dude. And not only that, I didn't have a good computer. I had a shit laptop, man. A laptop cannot handle that much footage. It just can't. So there was lag like crazy. Mm. And like I said, all a learning experience, you know? Yeah. I think that editing stuff drives me crazy. Like the lag, like I'm working, I'm working on a little laptop right now and mm-hmm. it, it does the job for doing some sound editing, but uh, I can't really be running too many programs. And dude, imagine film. I love having windows open, man. I love having everything I need oh. like at my fingertips. And yeah, I think. I, I don't know. People say like it's it's the little things that'll that'll push you over the edge, and yeah. and, and computer lagging is one of those things. For yeah. Me. Uh, sometimes it's cool, you know, if, if you got other things going on. But if you're really just trying to do that one thing, or you have one day to finish the editing, like, yeah, like there's just no fucking time for it, dude. No, it's insane, and stuff has to render. I really think that we're like on the brink of finding a really fast editing program. Mm. Like, there's no reason why. Why we can't do touchscreen for editing? Someone, someone's gonna come up with that real soon, and it's probably gonna limit your your editing time a lot. Mm-hmm. And you know what else? I think we're on the brink of is like really faster, easier CGI. Mm-hmm. Like once that becomes readily available <clears throat> to independent filmmakers, like there's already like you can already the tech do is there, but it's just not like you said accessible for to everybody. It's not accessible. It's almost like once you created, I remember the first Final Cut, and you had to start scratch disc whatever the fuck, right? Like that. Learning that was a first step, and then you can edit. But ninety percent of like the hardest part was syncing up codecs and doing all this stuff and then when final cut just released like oh you can drag and drop it half of the editors were out of business (laughs) how they were like okay well that's you know 90 percent of the job was just knowing what you're doing and doing the code yeah it does it all for you now yeah so drag and drop is amazing dude (laughs) drag and drop is amazing yeah i so i've had to make some videos for school and yeah dude it's so much fun yeah so much fun now you can worry about the creative process and not have to worry about like jesus christ which is the best take you got multicam edits you can do this and all the stuff you can pretty much do on a laptop now Mm -hmm. yeah i made some of my movies on my fucking cell phone dude my on my iphone uh iMovie. Yeah. I, I made a gang of videos for, for class. Super easy. Yeah. You dude. have more features on the on the laptop or desktop version, but there's it's sufficient to make something simple and, and effective and the sound options, you like you can clip your sound separate than your video and yeah. It's pretty tight. It's yeah. So, it's so much fun. Exactly, dude. The technology is out there. It's just Um I also really liked your credits. So the, this conversation's making me think of it because when I was a kid I had a a drag and drop program for making your own comics. 
Oh, so you could like, yeah. You could like upload your own photos for the comic strip and then like adjust the bubbles and the, the type. And so I, I was like, I had a, I had a, an office job and they, we got bought by a new company. And so they give us all new computers, but you spend half your time at an office yeah. fucking off on the computer. So <laughs> I started making movies on Windows Movie Maker and doing like these comic drag and drop things. Uh, so that just made me think, I, I did want to also compliment you. Your, your intro and outro credits <laughs> had a, it's got that comic book feel, but it's not, it was it was different than any like Marvel movie I've seen. Oh yeah, the, the Marvel they, they kind of just like <laughs> no, I I, I I don't know what you paid for it or who you got who you got to do it, but uh, I thought it was different in it it I really liked how it blended the footage with the comic medium and like went oh. back and forth between it. Like visually, it was really enjoyable to watch. Oh yeah, that was cool. That was a comic book artist that I actually when I first started making films back in Connecticut. It was like 1998 or something like that. Mm. One of my friends had a camcorder, and his name is Steve Emond, and he we did sketches. Dude, oh my god, those are terrible. It's called, <laughs> and I thought of the name. The name was called Slow Children. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we just took a picture of like Slow Children, the sign, like like the sign is like Slow Children. Oh, move, yeah, move slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, drive slow. Children yeah. Plane. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was the first Scott sketch comedy group. It was me, Bobby, <laughs> Steve, and Curtis in Big Y Supermarket in Guilford, <laughs> Connecticut. And dude, one of the first sketches was an idea I had, like called Heaven Sent, and we're a boy band. It's <laughs> a we're, perfect name for a boy band. <laughs> oh, dude! And we're doing the E like Hollywood like I- interview. Uh-huh. Where they're like, what, what happened to Curtis? He's like, yeah, you know, he, he's on drugs now. He's across the country. And, and me, I was like starting a solo career. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Do you ever do any uh, improv or improv classes? Oh, yeah. I did uh, improv first in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I took a bunch of classes like uh, method and and uh, uh, method improv and a bunch of um, – What's that called? Uh, what's the other uh, acting? Yeah, Method. Method. Method, Meisner, and uh, improv classes in in Connecticut. Uh-huh. And I I thought I was really good at it. And then I went uh, to New York and I performed there. And then I just got around other improv actors that I didn't like because <laughs> – they were just always on, and they always thought uh, they were funny. And like I said, <laughs> that whole real thing, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of important for me. Mm-hmm. But when I feel someone has a fake bubble and they're always trying to be funnier than you and always trying to outperform everybody else and be that guy at the bar, <laughs> yeah, Ugh. it just got it just got too much for me. I was like, I don't want to. I don't know what it is. I don't like it. Yeah, you got to know when to turn it off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to jump jump a little bit back here to the comic book thing. So in Stift, you you start off and you're waiting, but you're also writing comic books, transitioning to graphic novels. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask you: Have you seen the movie Heavy Traffic? No. Uh, it's from the seventies, um, and so yeah, it's a it's 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 a it's really cool cartoon. Um, the guy who made Wizards and. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's a comic in it and 
starts off live action and then it jumps to the comic world and gets real crazy. It's like spliced film between like old timey New York footage and cartoons. I mean, it's like, it's over the top, like sex and drugs and violence. It's definitely an adult cartoon. And then at the end of the film, it goes back to the, the, to the live action characters at the end of it. And, uh, watching your film, having, having this autobiographical story interfused of like a comic writer, uh, a comic artist, yeah, um, it just made me think of that because yeah, there's a little bit of that that same overlap. It's it's super cool. I I have the DVD. I can lend it to you if you want. Oh, totally. You know, yeah, uh, uh, Ra- Ralph Bakshi. Ralph Bakshi. Bakshi, B A K S H I. Yeah, so he made uh, Wizards. He uh, Cool World. You're with Brad Pitt. Yeah. Yeah. So he made that. So that's his art in there. Just yeah, like I remember voluptuous that. women and like just decadent. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah, real misogynist, but it's it's artistically entertaining. He's probably not working much now, huh? Uh, you Nothing. know, on, like I follow him online, and he's like, you know, always like selling his old like uh, prints from the old fo- footage, and oh yeah, he's he's still living living off of some of the older stuff. Yeah, that's what's cool about film, you know. Like, uh, I always like the idea of that. You know, you can make five shitty films, but if you make one good one. Like, it'll stick around. It'll, like, stand the test of time. Someone will find it. Yeah. You know, 10 years after you're dead and like, oh, <laughs> this is good. This is fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Uh, I, Ralph Bakshi, it's it's pretty classic. It's it's timely, too, I, I, th- I think. Yeah. You'll check it out. You, you'll dig it. Um, uh, I, I also wanted to ask you for Stift. Uh, the homie NL came out in there. I was super surprised to see to see her in there. I think she got she has the credit of Flirt Girl. Yeah, the Flirty credit? Girl. Flirty, <laughs> flirty Girl. Yeah, <laughs> she's just outside the other waiters, just hitting on her. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, we originally shot that scene with Trevor and another girl, and he was supposedly found. He was found in the bathroom doing something with a girl by natalia Uh. but we had to cut that footage because the producer severed ties with that girl and so we weren't allowed to use her for half of the footage oh my god so i mean that just became a whole nother thing so i had to do reshoots and you know we would we we had a 5d you know doing reshoots in the lower east side and I'm I'm trying to piece it together, and it's like, oh uh, yeah, yeah, you know, he comes out, and you're looking at her boobs, and that's it, and then and then that's it. That's, see these boobs, and you smack them because you don't want that guy, and then it will cut into this scene. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. You still talk to any of the the old people from from barbecues? Onali, BBQs. Yeah, Onali and I have a pretty good conversation once a week. Oh, cool. We just talk. Yeah, she's moving to Australia. Wow. Yeah. She's trying do you remember Nolly? Nope. <laughs> you don't. That's right. I think she came right after you left. Mm-hmm. Okay. Never mind. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. She was a, she was friends with Anelle for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. But yeah. Her Vince. Remember Vince? Nope. Vince Maldonado? Nope. He was in Stift. He's Gus Riker, the guy that gets knocked out. Nope. <laughs> he worked at Dallas Barbecue, too. All right. Yeah. That was a hazy time for me. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> you probably, <laughs> you probably don't remember that was the big, the big lead up right before I quit drinking. So. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> remember the day. Yeah. 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 Uh, Ready? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, how come you're not waiting tables out here? What, you like you like uh, driving around better than Dude, I was waiting tables for a while. The first job I got out here was at Le Pan Cotidien. 
All right. We don't got to give him the free plug, but all right. <laughs> Screw kidding. them, man. That's what I'm, I'm saying. To, That's what I'm saying. I'm about to drive them on, under yeah, the yeah, table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they suck, dude. Don't go there. I uh, I mean, I started working there, and then they're like, uh, I get a job as a waiter. And then they're like, yeah, we just need you to be a counter person for three months. And, dude, when you're a waiter, right, you're like, screw that. I'm not oh, a, fu- if a we're counter pu- person. If we're pulling chips, maybe. But we're not. No, fuck But that. we're not, yeah. So the, <laughs> so the servers are making all this money, and then I got to stand behind this counter like. 20 bucks a day, tops. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, you get these tips, you know, these 50 cents that are hanging around. You split amongst like eight of you. No way. And I was like, dude, I'm a waiter. I'm a waiter for like over a decade in New York. Like I can handle it. Just give me the job. That's what you promised me. And they tell me, like, the second day in. And so then a weekend, like, oh, my God. I had the worst shift of my life. I'm working with two people that, like, just did not want me there. So, hey, Mike, can you do this? Oh, I don't really know what's in that. Who trained you? Why are you so slow? We're we're busy. Can you help? And I was like, I don't think that's going to make me work any faster. <laughs> If I don't know, I don't know, right? So just like redundant, stupid questions. You ever get around someone that's so hell-bent on just asking you the wrong question at the wrong moment when it doesn't need – there's like a line waiting. And they're like, who trained you? And you're like, oh, that's a good one. Let's just keep going. And they're like, no, no, seriously, who trained you? I want to know. And you're like – Probably a time. <laughs> it's probably a better time for this. Yeah, when the customer's not staring right at me, waiting Dude, for me to handle their order. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm crazy, just man. Trying yeah. to live here, and so that was that place. And then uh, I started Uber driving for a while. That was pretty cool because then I got to make my own hours. And then I worked at Toluca Lake Lakeside Golf Club. Okay, what were you doing there? Waiter. All right. Yeah, and that was great. Toluca Dude. Lake. Uh Toluca In Lake the Valley. No, and uh, where the hell's that? And uh, Burbank. Okay. Yeah, I mean, okay, it wasn't great, but the people there—not the my, not my coworkers. My coworkers were pretty much all racist. Yeah, yeah, I said it. <laughs> yeah, I said it. <laughs> Shit. I was Puerto Rican. All you're, of you're them. You're at a golf club. Who would have ever imagined? Well, this. <laughs> no, 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 no. This was the weirdest Twilight Zone shit I have ever experienced. What happened? I'm Puerto Rican. All the other waiters are Mexican. They like, like, start saying, "Oh, Puerto Ricans are dumb. They're all gay. This and that." I cannot believe what I am hearing. I'm like. That kind of racism. That's not what I was expecting. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. And then they're like, you're not a real server. You never waited like fine dining. I said, I never said I did. I worked this at one other course. place. Who cares? It's a, yeah, dude, like <laughs> relax. And these are all my coworkers, not even my managers. My managers don't talk like that. My coworkers are down my throat. Like I was serving Joe Pesci, Andy Garcia, uh, Justin Timberlake, Alfonso Ribeiro, Vinnie Jones, Charlie Day, all really nice people. That's Super cool. nice. Working with the, the, the employees made me want to quit, like, within like two weeks. I was like, I can't. These people are rough, man. Like, they're on, they're down my throat about everything. And they're coworkers. I said, I told them straight up. I said, I've never worked. With people that were just so, like, ready to throw you under the bus instead of help you. And it's because I was the first outside hire. And 
all of them actually knew each other. They were all like family. So every previous server was hired through a friend. Mm -hmm. And so literally like I went to my manager and I told him this and he looked at me like I had three heads. He's like, racist, ho, 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 racist, you're all Latino, what are you talking about? And I'm like, dude, I know it's, like, he just gave me this weird look, and I was like, no, I swear, this is happening, they don't like me, I don't know why. Every other job I've had, I've gotten along with every, like, employee, not every, you know, there's always, like, one or two or whatever. Service industry, man, everybody's hustling, everybody's got something else going on, we're just, you know, taking our job half seriously and trying to make the best of it. You nailed it, dude. Usually. My point is, as a waiter, like, I'm trying to have a little bit of fun, regardless. I try Mm -hmm. to have a little fun in everything I do. Yeah. When people are looking at you like, why are you smiling? Well, this is serious. This is serious. You're like, are you a kid? The, the bro, like, <laughs> worst case scenario, like, this person's not getting their food on time. And then, like, that's not even the point of what I was doing. I'm joking around in between while we're waiting, right? It's called waiting, <laughs> all right? Like, you're not laughing at jokes I'm saying while we're just standing here because you... you <laughs> Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Loosen up. Yeah. Yep. Dude, insane. Then they gave me like those those waiter jackets like back in the 20s. <laughs> Dude, and it, and it was big on me. And I had to wait like three months for them to give me the right thing. Oh Nobody took me seriously. <laughs> Not my fellow. Yeah, if you're so, in an oversized. Looking <laughs> like a doofus every single day, dude. You imagine putting on this uniform and just walking around. <laughs> Look like Jerry Lewis. I got the opposite problem because I'm extra... I've got long arms, so I sometimes yeah. my, I look silly and, and with my sleeves being too short. Exactly. So I, I feel you. And feel Just imagine dealing with that for three months. And yeah. then literally all of the guests are not taking me seriously. They're like, look at this fucking goofwad. Yeah. Right? Joe Pesci would look at me like. <laughs> You're getting clowned for looking too small by yeah. Joe Pesci. You know, uh, you got issues there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now you've been just doing the, the Uber driving for a while. Mm-hmm. Yep. Any crazy shit happen? Uh, yeah, pretty much every Friday and Saturday night. That's why I try not to drive those nights, mm. man. I had uh, a couple of people puke in my car. Uh, one girl like put her feet up on the on the windshield and started like kicking it and like no, looking no, over. No. I'm like, yo, what is your friend on? <laughs> and can I just drop you girls off? Can she sit in the back seat, please? fucking feet print on my windshield for like a week like someone just what (laughs) what was this guy doing you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh Uh, man is it is the pay comparable to waiting tables because i quit waiting tables when i went back to school because it was just leaving me with not enough energy but i was fucking crushing it in terms of making money oh now you know i've had to tighten everything down but i miss that money i how how does it compare I have not been fortunate enough to find a good waiting job since I've been out here. Like, it's really weird because you got to find your the right niche. I'm pretty sure it's out there somewhere. Like, my place would be a lax place, a place where I can make good money on Friday and Saturday. And they're out there. And not a place that's stuffy. Not something I have to, like, something where I could, like, wear a t-shirt, jeans, and, like, work a brunch and kill it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That'd be awesome. But, uh... Yeah, I haven't found that place. As far as Uber, uh, they used to pay a little more. 
like you used to average about 30 bucks an hour. Now you're averaging about 20 bucks an hour. It's kind of hard because you got to put gas and then you got to eat. And so after you're done, like with your Starbucks, your $10 breakfast, and then you're like $15 worth of gas. And then you're like, Got a pack of lunch, man. Yeah, dude. You, like, you have to. And I eat out, so it's terrible. So then, like, I look at the app and I'll, I'll see, like, oh, yeah, I made, like, this much. And then I'll look at my bank account and be like, where the fuck did it go? <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. One day, it's gone. It's, like, half gone, everything you make, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> but when we were waiting tables, though, <laughs> having, the, having the bar open till 4 wasn't oh. always so good. You hit the bar after work every night and blow half your check. Yeah. If it ain't one thing, it's the other, though. It would always... But I miss that. I miss uh, I miss being stationary, not driving around everywhere. I miss uh, talking to people that that are fun and funny. Yeah. It's really weird, man. I, I it's feel diff- like New I York can, and L.A. is so different. I don't feel like I can really connect with that many people out here. Like, I just... I don't really have a best friend out here. I don't, like... There's not a group. There's not a social circle. I'm pretty much just by myself the whole time, you know? And so, like, my girlfriend's always out hanging out with her friends. And I'm like, friends? What are those? I want to hang out. Instead, I'll just go out and drive and stuff. So, and, you know, my friends are, like, out of town. I don't know. I just can't. I really miss my friends from New York, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, you've just been here a couple years, just laying it down. You're trying different things, so you haven't established, like, one set pattern, I imagine. If you stick it out a little bit longer, yeah, you know, come I think, around. I think I just, you know, my ideal situation, what I want to do, I want to personally go to a studio that's like like a room like this with a co-writer and write every single day until mm. we can make that film and just do it every single day. And then, you know... I'll work the the 10 to 4, the 10 to 5 or whatever in the studio, writing down, getting a good script, and then I'll go Uber drive after. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then uh, that would be my ideal situation. Then start actually making these movies. Yeah. Yeah. My dream is to start my own production company mm-hmm. where we're making movies. Yep. Yep. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. I'm rooting for you. <laughs> yeah, thanks, dude. Who knows, right? Yeah, Two, dude. three, five, 20 years from now. <laughs> yeah, something I've been noticing. So getting this podcast started, I'm starting out with all of my friends who are doing cool things and I'm reaching out to everybody and I realized, shit, man, I haven't seen a lot of these people in, in two years for you. My last friend was two years from before that, like fucking three years. And like, I haven't seen any of my peeps either. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was talking to another friend of mine earlier because I, I was like, oh, I got the next guest is coming on the podcast. She's like, oh, who it is? And. Who is it? And I, I told her who it was. And she's like, oh, so different than all your other guests. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, if I, like, I kind of always said, like, if I, if I had a party and all of my friends came, I have no idea how it would go because they're all so they're different. All so different. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, like, even in high school, like, I didn't have, like, one click. Like, I was close with, like, one person from every click, you know, like, I, yeah. just on the fringe of all the groups and just, I, I don't know, find something in common, <laughs> you know, hanging right. out in the alley after school. Yeah. It's like the one place you can find everybody have so, has something in common. But uh yeah, I feel you, man. Like it's it's hard to build community from nothing. Like when I moved to New York, you know, like fuck dude, I didn't meet anybody. I was only there for a year, but it didn't even start to feel like I, I had some people until I was about to leave. Yeah. You, you know, it's so weird. You can be in the most populous city and then just feel completely isolated. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh seems like a uh, pretty common thing. Yeah, that's what I think this uh co-living thing for me is all about. Mm-hmm. I just I just want to surround like myself with other people and talk about the arts. Talk yeah. about what inspires them. That sort of stuff like you kind of need it, man. It's like it's refreshing in a way. Mhm. Otherwise, you're just like, wow, what the hell's going on in a daily grind? And you, you feed think, off other people's energy. Yeah. It's the refreshing, I think, right? Yeah. It's inspirational. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Hell yeah, man. So I got a few questions I want to ask you before we, we wind it down. But uh, I was just wondering if there's anything else you want to touch on before we, we start heading towards towards the ending. Anything else you want to talk about that you've been up to? or? Uh. Yeah, probably just start uh, the film production company. Uh, it's either going to be called Bazooka Monkey or Film Favor. I don't. I'm not really feeling the Film Favor because then it sounds like I'm giving someone a favor and it has no value, mm. right? So, so yeah, uh, that's the idea. Uh, we're looking to raise some money. Uh, for the first feature film, which is going to be Death Prank. That is the one I previously talked about. That's mm-hmm. also a low-budget, high-concept thriller with like uh, two to three locations and about six to seven actors. Mm-hmm. So um, if there's any uh, horror producers uh, that are interested, uh, they can give me a call. Uh, 646-982-3980. Or my email is MikeBTheActor at gmail.com. Uh, my Instagram is MikeBTheActor also. And, uh, yeah, you can pretty much find me on Facebook under Mike Baez. Just look for the really handsome guy. <laughs> and I'll be right above him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hell yeah, man. Cool. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what you put out next because I've enjoyed your work so far. Thanks, dude. Yeah, it's been fucking fun. Cool, man. So I just got a, just some fun questions um, to ask before we close out. Just kind of something to toy with. So the name of this podcast is A Flare for the Curious. Okay. Right. And uh, so uh, what is something that you're curious about or something that you're interested in or would like to know more about in the world or a person, anything? I've been really uh, lately, you know, I wanted to do a whole documentary on the whole start of reggaeton. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm hoping no one steals this idea. But basically, uh, uh, have you ever seen on Netflix they have the uh, Hip Hop Evolution? No. Yeah, so they have Hip Hop Evolution. They had like three or four documentaries about it. And they even had that uh, series by Baz Luhrmann about um, DJ, what's his name? Um, it's basically how they started to scratch this and like turn uh, disco into rap and okay it was an awesome series on netflix my friend that i went to acting school is in it uh mama do athy all right it's funny right. yeah he yeah, plays good mix he plays dj master flash uh oh shit did i say that right uh, mix master flash i'm so, i'm i'm so white right now <laughs> <laughs> and i'm puerto rican grandmaster flash grandmaster flash <laughs> jesus christ sorry it's all good all right so yeah my friend plays grandmaster flash in this show it's a netflix show uh jaden smith is in it too oh, wow. a lot of really good actors and uh i want to make a documentary where i interview like daddy yankee and the pioneers and vico c and all these like early rap artists and how they started turning reggaeton 
into like music that was like wanted all around the world. If like you don't know this, but the first couple of like CDs that came out in in uh, Puerto Rico that had like reggaeton, they were all one continuous song. And each song had about three to four people collaborating on it. Hmm. So you would only get like two to three verses. You know what I mean? And now if you look at like the way they're making music, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like all around. They've adapted that whole collaboration where they're putting, you know, two, three people on the same track. If not, you know, uh, they're trying to get as many people on those tracks as possible. And so I just want to interview these guys and say at what point like did you start? What were the shows like? Uh, you probably weren't getting paid. And then when, like, when it crossed over, when you did, like, Gasolina and, like, these little, these little bumps. And then that now, like, Rayton is, like, one of the biggest, uh, movie, uh, sorry, music, uh, genres in the world. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great interest. I like that. Yeah. That's cool, man. All right. So, one of the other definitions of curious is, Oh, that's curious. It's strange, right? Yeah. So something a little off, a little weird, a little different. So do you, can you name a curious or unexplainable experience you've had? Something strange that's happened in your life that maybe, what was that? <clears throat> uh, well, recently I fell down and I bumped my head. Yeah. And I wouldn't call it an out-of-body experience, but I took a shower and I got really hot and I was looking at myself in the mirror and I had this second of, Oh shit, I'm going to, I think I'm going to pass out. Next thing I know I'm in my, I'm on the floor and my head is like crunched up like this. Mm. Right. For like, I have no idea how long Yeah, I have no idea. And I wake up and I'm starting to, uh, like see reality and starting to come into focus. And I remember trying like, part of me really just want to go back to sleep. And part of me is like, you got to wake up or you might die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't go towards the light. Don't go. Yeah, don't go. <laughs> so, uh, I remember just waking up and I have to wake up and walk around at this point. And the next couple of days, just uh, being really thankful for a lot of things. Because... Mm. Not that I could have, you know, who knows? Yeah. But it was a it was a pretty bad concussion. There was a big bump on my head, and I felt really tired after. Wow. Really tired. And I called up a couple people just so they could talk to me, mm -hmm. and nobody picked up until, like, I called my one friend. And he, he was just like, just get out of the house, walk around, go back later, you'll be fine. And call me when you're not dead. Oh, and I was shit. like, awesome. Okay, cool. So I did that. But, uh... I remember feeling for the next couple of days just like, man, you got to start moving on some of the stuff you got to do regardless of the turnout because who knows, man, that would have sucked being caught like, oh, Mike is dead fucking because he hit the, like he passed out and it's all gone because of. He's like, he passed out and now he's dead. Like, this guy. Shitty way to go. Yeah, it's a shitty way to go. And I'm like, he didn't finish anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it gave you a sense of, uh, like, prescience, like, uh, the, fi the finiteness of life. Yeah, dude. Like, it doesn't matter if the project is, like, good or bad. People are going to 
something that's good to you is going to be terrible to somebody else. So, like, just look at Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) How much stuff do they have on there? And it started to sort of dawn on me that, like, you can't go by everyone else's expectations for your projects or whatever it is you want to do. You want to go do stand-up and you want to bomb? I don't, you know, I don't care if you don't have any jokes. Just go up. Mm -hmm. Talk to people fail fall on your face who cares too many people worry about like oh but then if i do this bad movie 10 years from now no one's gonna take me seriously get out of here you're not that important (laughs) you know what i mean yeah bring it down to earth yeah yeah solid advice yeah yeah that's cool have you ever fainted before once once yeah but my friend was there to catch me uh yeah this time no one was around yeah. My roommate would have came home. <laughs> just, <laughs> what are you I doing just imagine the autoerotic asphyxiation yeah. problem or something. Like, what the fuck, Mike? Yeah. Mike, I, that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had never fainted in my whole life up until this last year, maybe like six months ago or something. Yeah. I was sitting in this room. The desk was in here and I was uh I was watching, I think, Johnny Knoxville on the oh, Daily, yeah. I'll on make the, anybody on the Daily pass Show. No, nah, <laughs> but it was an interview. Okay. And he was just describing something that happened. So apparently he fractured his eye socket. So if he laughs really hard, his eye will like pop out a little bit and he has to like push it back in. And I was just visualizing that as he was saying it. And I've, I'm not usually grossed out by things. Yeah. But for some reason, I started to feel nauseous. Yeah. And I started to feel like a little dizzy. And I'm like, what the fuck? And the next thing I know, I'm just like lifting my head. And the the show had gone on to the next thing. And I, I don't know how long I was sitting there. But I, I was sitting down in my chair. So I just like slumped you know, over. But I was like, what the fuck? I've never fainted before. And especially from... Some feeling queasy over something. Of my own imagination. Because he was only <laughs> describing it. You know? I was like, what the yeah. fuck? That was weird. Well, right before I did pass out, I did pop a huge pimple that was on my lip. And it got all white at the end. And, and I remember having like to gather the courage to go back. Because I know <laughs> it wasn't completely popped. And that gave me like a pit in my stomach and I saw this blood under the, and then right after that, that's when I got nauseous and I passed out. And it's so strange to me because I'm not a queasy sort of person. That's so interesting. It sounds like a similar thing happened. Yeah. The look of this pimple would have made anybody pass out. It was (laughs) disgusting. Oh my God. Fucking A. Well, uh, that's a beautiful segment to the last qu- segue into the last question I'd like to ask you. So, can you name a time that you've encountered profound beauty in your life? <laughs> Going from the grossest pimple that literally <laughs> induced passing out to a time that you've encountered something tremendously beautiful or special that maybe changed your life. Man, you should have sent me these last night. Then I could have come up with something poetic I know, and beautiful. I know. It's, just, it's on the fly. It's and on the and fl- now it's like just <laughs> awkward pause. Oh, oh beautiful. Cool. <laughs> I had a burger last week. I was really hungry. Uh, let's see. Profoundly. Oh, you know what? I mean, it could be a beautiful scene. It could be like the birth of your firstborn. Uh, let me see. You know, I get moments almost every single day when I'm driving where I get hints of 
be like beautiful and also the potential of LA. I might talk some trash about it, but it's probably the most beautiful place I've ever lived in. And when I'm just driving people and looking at like the landscape and the sunset, I get this feeling, sometimes it even washes over me where I just feel completely calm and I know that I'm at least on the right path. It's really hard for me when I was living in Boston or New York because I wasn't even able to audition. I was paying my rent and I was waiting and I couldn't even audition. And over here, I have an agent. I have the freedom of being able to drive whenever I want. Uh, And so that moment, I pretty much get little hints of it. You know, maybe right after I'm done with my tall vanilla sweet cream from Starbucks, <laughs> I get that. Mm-mm, this and then I'm driving and it's beautiful, and every single day is beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> it's not raining like ever. So all every single day, and I look out the window, I'm like, "Yep, yeah, it's beautiful again." <laughs> I get to drive in my car, play the music that I want for as long as I want, and then I get to go home and write or whatever. So those moments are great. And I get a little bit of every single profound beauty. Yeah, you see it pretty much in the mountains when you're driving. The haze is like sometimes these uh, these beautiful like red skies. And I, you know, what was so weird when I was in New York and Connecticut. I was trying to make these short films and. I would look at like Michael Bay films and I'd be like, how does he get the sun? How does the sunset look so beautiful in these movies? And I'm like trying to mimic it in New York and I'm trying to get these like golden hour shots. I'm like, I don't get how, how is it like the lighting or what is, and I move out here <laughs> every night. I'm here for one week <laughs> and I point my, it's like my iPhone. I point my iPhone at somebody. I'm like, holy fuck. It's not New York. It's literally Golden Hour LA every single <laughs> night from like 5 to 7. You can get those shots. Yeah. It'll look beautiful like a movie because of the landscape out here because everything is so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I definitely feel that way, man. Thank you for sharing that. That's, yeah. Driving around LA, we have it's it's open enough that you get some decent views, but there's some hills, so you get some different angles. Yeah, like you said, you got mountains and hills popping up in random spots, weird like haze levels and layers. Even at night, have you ever noticed? I said even shooting here at night because of the fog and the mist, you have an actual like, uh, like a like an artist's canvas, Mm. you know, where you can shoot at night with good lighting just from the moon and the haze that's natural. It's completely natural. In New York, that haze probably comes like once, you know, every three to four months or something like that. Over here, it's pretty much almost every night. It's just, this is like the perfect scenario for shooting. Yeah. And it's got a lot of little pockets and they're different. Yeah. I mean, everybody, you know, the cliche is, oh, you can go ride waves and then go up to the mountains and do snowboarding and then hit the desert all in one day. LA is so cool. And it's true. 
but that I think translates if you're doing film, especially that you have so much variety in your locations. Yeah, all within a half hour or an hour's drive. Totally, it's and it depends amazing. on your project. Like, I love the idea of the grit of downtown LA and the mm-hmm. Arts District and the graffiti. And their graffiti is completely different than the graffiti in New York. Yeah, it's uh, it's more deliberate and like it's more like. Uh, artists like based it's very unique it's a lot of murals murals yeah Yeah. you get it right yeah that's la that's what it screams massive part of the culture here yeah yeah i used to work in the arts district down there oh it was gorgeous awesome yeah initially you know what i really want to do is one day i want to open up uh the production studio in the arts district oh man yeah Yeah. i worked at this little bodega it was so cool little tobacco shop and yeah yeah it was awesome man get all the artists coming in Crackheads coming in for matchboxes, yeah. like, and you know them, it, you the know all their names. Mix. Yeah, it was a real <laughs> interesting spot. It's really, it's really an eclectic mix of all kind, all the strata from every you know income level and aptitude. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah it reminds me of New York too. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, like downtown. When I live downtown, you know, you can walk around to everything, and you end up meeting you. It becomes a. I don't want to say a cesspool, but you end up knowing everybody. And so you bump into the same people in the same places. And I think my time living in downtown was more like a community yeah. environment than any other place in LA that I've ever lived because of that. Yeah. You know, you go to the arts events on, you know, th- the, every like month on the, the first Thursday or whenever it is, second Thursday, something like that. Um, there was, I ended up finding about all these, uh, un- underground clubs or after hours parties and clubs, oh, or, yeah. uh, speakeasy type places where you yeah. need, you need passwords to get in and, <laughs> and you know, everybody's going, it's not super exclusive, but it, you know, it gives it the air of uh, a little bit of, yeah, there's literally a cop but, outside, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Security but, it, but it's like, uh, it's a community and it's, it's, it's much more, I don't know. It felt more ar- like artsy and and real and people like doing cool shit whereas uh around la sometimes it can be a little bit more flighty yeah yeah but downtown yeah. la it's 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 hard <laughs> yeah i mean uh i just like the areas the areas and and then when you feel like going to the beach boom you shoot over to venice and jump on a little scooter and get shit faced try not to die right <laughs> going from one bar to the other and it's a, it's its own little adventure why not? And some days you can go hiking. I mean, that's not my thing, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I have to get you out there or take my Labrador out. Go yeah, for, go for a hike. Yeah, and we got some nice trails right here too. There's a little waterfall we could hike to. It's just like a little mile, like a mile, a mile and a half, something like that. Oh no way! Yeah, some, like some pretty small ones that stay shaded and <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe we we could hit some trails. Fuck yeah, dude. My tummy's rumbling. I don't know about you. I'm ready to go get some lunch. How you feeling? Yeah, let's get food. Cool, man. Let's wrap it up, dude. This has been fucking awesome. Thanks for coming out, man. Oh, dude. Thanks for having me. This was great. Hell yeah, dude. All right. Peace. All right, my curious audience. Thanks for sticking around to the end. That was some real talk with an up-and-coming independent filmmaker. You can follow Mike Baez on Instagram at Mike D underscore the actor or head over to uh, flareforthecurious.com for any of the links that you need. Um, send me some feedback. Let me know what you think. Uh, I know I've been going long with these episodes and there is no end in sight. It looks like this is going to be the format of the show. So let me know what you think about it. 
I've gotten a lot of varying opinions about whether people think a show should be short or long, but I'm of the mind that uh, just let it fly, let it be natural, um, but I think the long format gives us something. I know there's uh, the occasional lull or two in a long conversation like that, but uh, I think it's worth it. Um, and as promised, you're going to get the answer to that question. Anthony, what is your favorite Ninja Turtle? Well, damn, that's a great question. So I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. And in New York, Michelangelo stood out because he's a surfer dude. He's got like the California thing going. Uh, he's a little bit mm, funny and silly and goofy and all the things that I felt like I kind of was as a kid. So I really kind of gravitated towards Michelangelo. It was really interesting and coincidental that uh, when I was eight, we moved out to California, <laughs> my whole family. So I got to I got to see what it was like out here, and uh, I wasn't that close to the coast. I was I was inland in Alhambra, you know, maybe forty minutes without traffic to the beach, forty minutes to an hour, something like that. So it wasn't quite the uh, the surfer dude life that I thought I was going to be moving out. Uh, to experience. Funnily enough, um, once I got out to California, so uh, at that point, I was the oldest child. I guess I'm still the oldest child. There was no point when I wasn't because I was first born. Um, But uh, at that point, um, we had left my father in New York, so I was effectively man of the house. And although in my younger years, I, I was into Michelangelo, as I got older, I kind of started to identify more with Leonardo. I, you can, if you watch the the live action film of the the Ninja Turtles, uh, you can think of that that scene where after Splinter was kidnapped by the Foot Clan and uh, the turtles had to go upstate with Casey Jones and April. Uh, there's this like a, a long, sad scene where Leonardo's just like in the bathroom, hunched over, weeping just lamenting that that he let down his master you know he's supposed to supposed to 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 take care of everybody because he he's the oldest and the leader what whatnot and that's that's how i started to feel kind of responsible for taking care of everybody and i i started to identify with 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 uh the the trouble in leading (laughs) a crazy group like the turtles or uh my little brother and sister I mean, I wasn't even really the leader. I was just the oldest and occasionally put in charge. But for some reason, uh, I, I definitely started to identify more with, with Leonardo. Now that I'm a little bit older, uh, I, I feel like it's it's a happy medium. I, I think um, I straddled that line. <laughs> um, my astrological symbol is two fish swimming in opposite directions. And true to that, I seem to want paradoxical things in my life always i always want to stay in one place and travel the world (laughs) i want to be responsible and diligent like leonardo but i also want to eat a lot of pizza and have a really good time like michelangelo so uh, i've taken to heart both of these characters now if i were to give one definitive answer in a single word who is my favorite ninja turtle michelangelo Something about the orange just really does it for me. <laughs> um, so, 
that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Uh, I still love the Ninja Turtles, but I haven't kept up on uh, all the, the, the new versions of them. Um, but it was fun to to share in a little bit of uh, history with Mike about the Ninja Turtles and uh, the Toxic Avenger, Toxic Crusader cartoon. All right, what else do we want to talk about here? Uh, next episode, I'll give you a little preview. I've got uh, my college professor uh, Tom Moritz is going to be on the show and he teaches Buddhist addiction recovery to um, psychologists and chaplains in training as well as environmental leadership and we get into uh, some activism he is also an information specialist who's worked in uh, museums and libraries uh, some big famous ones and and we kind of you know we pick that apart for a little bit so it's it's a a really good conversation um and i hope you guys all tune in for it all right so that's gonna do it for this episode uh head over to a flare for the curious.com and uh check us out check out the other episodes if you haven't um and uh, i'd love to get some feedback from you uh rating and review and a share goes a long way and if you're one of those people who happens to have abundance in your life and you like sharing it with people who could really put it to some good good use uh, click the support button and uh, send us your love. Uh, we've got easy ways to do that through Venmo, Cash App, Zelle, PayPal, Patreon, whatever works for you. And for those dedicated listeners who have been supporting and encouraging me since the start and along the way, uh, I do want to give you a big heartfelt thank you. And to any of you who are checking out the show for the first time, thanks for giving us a listen. I also appreciate that tremendously. All right, friends, I'm going to wrap it up here. I wish you all health, wealth, and prosperity. And may you stay curious, never stop asking questions, and keep your heart open. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Peace.
And now, from the 1898 Cosmopolis, an international monthly review, volume 9. Literary Bulletin. Books. Studies in Frankness by Charles Wibley. A writer of clear, vigorous, and felicitous prose, Mr. Wibley has also a flair for the curious, the unexplored in literature, and treats of authors as little known to the general reading public as Petronius, Heliodorus, Herondas, and Sir Thomas Urquhart. And on the other hand, of such classics as Lucian, Rabelais, Stern, and Poe defending their frankness in speech and in choice of subject on the ground that such outspokenness is the privilege of genius. Perhaps the best part of a book that is excellent throughout is the introduction, in which Mr. Whibley calls on the Puritan who would define literature as, quote, an exponent of the ethical life, end quote, and slays him with a double-edged sword of wit and common sense. <laughs> 